Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Dr. Mike back on the show. And we first just dig into a little bit of discussion surrounding social media and how it might be beneficial for you to put out your personality now and then. I kind of touch on the relevance for online coaching and how that can be important too. And then we dig into the Olympia. What were the results? Was anything controversial in Mike's mind? And what did he think of the event itself? And what was his personal experience? And he touches on some of the experience he got being kind of semi-famous and lots of people coming up to him and how he liked that and just a discussion surrounding that in general. And then we talk a little bit about kind of different ways of training. We talk a bit about Phil Heath, Jay Cutler, kind of Ronnie Coleman, all of this and different mentalities. I have a question for Mike that's kind of a philosophical one which then he flipped on the head and it was a really great discussion surrounding kind of the differences in mentality between enhanced and natural bodybuilders and if there's anything there or if it's kind of more of individual basis just in general. So a really great chat as always with Mike. So enjoy two hours of lots of fun. And as a reminder, at Revive Stronger, we are a online coaching company. So that's how we make our living. We work with people one-on-one online, helping them gain muscle, lose fat, maybe take towards the bodybuilding stage or even just for a photo shoot or just to feel better and feel healthier. And this is very personal. That's something we really pride ourselves in through the way that we coach. It's very easy to communicate with us, to ask questions, and we encourage that too. So you can leave coaching when you do at some point, we don't expect you to hang around forever and know exactly how to continue to get results. This is important to us to have that education side to it too. We mostly coach either coaches, people who want to get into coaching or competitors or people who take this very seriously. So if you're listening to the podcast, you're probably someone who might be interested in online coaching with us because of the type of person that we end up coaching. So if you want to learn more about that, definitely check it out. It's always linked in the description or in the bio, wherever all the links are held. But without further ado, let's get into the chat with Mike. Hi guys, welcome back to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host as always, Steve Hall, and today I have Dr. Mike Isratel back on the show. Uh, It feels like a while ago since we spoke, but it was actually only a couple of months ago. Uh, It just feels like lots of things have happened. I don't know if that's just me. Uh, Time is flying. It's almost the end of 2023 and it's wild. The Olympia just happened and it's gone and... Yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know if you feel like that, like this year or the years when you get older, the years just go quicker. It feels like. So I believe there's actually research to confirm that due to neurological reasons, your perception of time um, basically constrains as you get older. So that when you're a kid, it actually feels like um, every time period and objective time feels longer than when you're an adult for for not some kind of like oh it's like a cultural thing it's actually like neurochemical i think that's that's been uh, what i have uh, heard and from very good sources too so i think that actually is a thing uh, so maybe good for all of us grown-ups to kind of uh try to i don't know try to well i'll put it this way i'll take a really nasty take on it if your life isn't going well good news it's going to be over sooner if your <laughs> life uh sorry the not good part is going to be over sooner uh if if you're ha- having a good time however i think as an adult maybe it does um pay off a little bit to kind of uh, be a little bit more conscious and aware and really try to enjoy the moments I know, I don't know if we spoke about it, but you were on Chris, Chris Williamson's podcast, Modern Wisdom, which I don't know why, because he's a similar age and like, the, it's just, I find his interviewing technique good. And actually I listen to it to almost learn like how to be a better interviewer, because I think he does yeah. a good job. Although yeah. I'm a little bit different to him. I just like, everyone's a little bit different. 
but uh yeah lots of i think that's partly why too i listen to his podcast I'm like damn like there's just so many things to be aware of and times passing by and you know you don't want to miss out on things so sure it's interesting to know there's actually more to it than just like you just think it's passing like that's what right. people say but actually yes there's some neurological components to it yep yep i recommend the podcast that mike and chris did because well as ever, like a bag of laughs, but also it was a very interesting podcast too. Uh, I had so, a lot of fun on it. Uh, yeah. A lot of people were upset I didn't talk about sports science, but I was like, wait, you know, we have this whole other channel. Uh, and also I'm on Revive Stronger all the time talking essentially only about sports science. So it is kind of trippy that um, uh, I guess, you know, reading the comments is always a bad idea because again, like I always say, half the people in the comments are amazing. Half the people are just mentally unwell. And so if you over index on that, you end up being like, oh, like I did a bad job or something. But uh, it, was, it was kind of interesting. I didn't think I was going to get that kind of feedback. Um, uh, but uh, some of it was quite valid. Some one guy was like, hey, you know, I thought you would use Chris's huge platform in order to bring more attention to the sports science side of what you do. And I didn't respond to him literally, but my response in my head was like, I don't know, like we're going at a pretty good pace on YouTube. I don't think it was really necessary. And also, I think um, there is something to be said for not overly pigeonholing yourself. Um, and obviously, because I don't make my money from talking about philosophy, I make it from doing sports science. There is something to be seen as a slightly more complete human being. Um, I think that this especially happens with uh, Instagram, I notice. If I post some kind of joke or something or some funny, like, you know, like uh, my Instagram, I'll see something funny. I'll uh, clip a picture and almost no caption or something. It'll be like, haha people's jokes in there when they get in the comments, they're like so exercise related. And I think it's totally understandable because they see me as the exercise person in, or one of them in their life. But the thing is, is that like most of what I talk about and think about day to day has nothing to do with sports or exercise. And so I think sometimes it's easy to think like, oh, Steve Hall, he's that guy who does the bodybuilding thing. But like you got a lot more going on than just bodybuilding. And sometimes it's cool to show that side of yourself to, you know, be like, oh, like, let's talk about anime or something. And they're like, oh, you know, anime? Like, yeah, yeah, I sure do. And they're like, oh, you're like a regular person, but you're also, this is your career. You know, like if you sit down on a plane and you find out the person sitting next to you is fun to chat to and they're a lawyer, you wouldn't necessarily be like, all right, so like, I got 50 law questions or what's it like to be a lawyer? You might be like, oh, that's cool. So what do you think of San Francisco? Like you're going there and then you just talk about San Francisco and travel and food and, you know, we wouldn't talk about law stuff, but in social media, it's quite easy for someone to be sort of pinged accurately, I would say, as like, this is the person for that. Like if I sat down next to Andrew Huberman, I'd be like, tell me about the nervous system and hormones and all that shit that you talk about. But I might not necessarily be like, you know, was it tough to come up and eventually become a Stanford professor? I'd be like, oh yeah, like he knows about that too. Like, what are your hobbies? He could have a hobby that no one knows about. He could be playing Jenga all the time and be really good at Jenga. You have no idea. So it's kind of cool sometimes to show a side of yourself that isn't directly um, related to the very field that you do. Um, you know, some people kind of over-index on that and they end up, their social media just ends up being like, like, here's me talking about my hobbies and my dogs all the time. And people are like, what the fuck does this have to do with getting jacked? You know, if you run your social media like a normal human, there's nothing wrong with putting your whole life on there. If you run it a little bit for business purposes, then it's probably good to stay more to that professional side but i think there's a benefit in showing like that you're a human being uh, also with the ascendancy of ai um illustrating your humanity could actually be marginally quite useful because not just a, related to ai but there's this phenomenon where consistently over time curated very very well planned 
artificial seeming content is giving way to organic content and the Sam Sulik effect, for example, like, yes, apparently, uh, I, so, so for the record, <laughs> this isn't meant offensively at all. I don't think it's offensive. I absolutely have no idea what the appeal is. And, and I'm not saying that cynically being like, there is no appeal. Like I'm objectively wrong if I say that like 1 million people per month extra that he gets the subscribers that clearly disagree with me. It's like, I'm, it's like me saying like, I don't see the appeal of Britney Spears, like dope, but she has a hundred million dollar a year residency in Vegas for a fucking reason. Like you're wrong. She's objectively more popular. Get on the program. That being said, I, first of all, it doesn't matter if I don't see the appeal because I'm not as target demographic. But secondly, what it seems at least some of the appeal is as far as I've talked to a few people to try to crack the code of why the fuck is this guy popular? is he's just like a straight up fucking normal dude who lifts weights and just talks to you like a human being through his camera. And like, there's so much curation. I mean, like Greg Doucette, you know, very entertaining content, lots of followers, but uh, there is no real Greg Doucette. First of all, I do believe he's a benign sociopath. Uh, it's just like, there's, there's, it's all facades until there's nothing left. But also like he puts on a fake voice. That's not a real Greg Doucette. That's not a real human being. It's fun. It's great. And there's absolutely still room for essentially curated content. But I think there's a lot of space for showing your real self a little bit, maybe a lot of it. And then people um, over time are much more savvy to uh, all the little tricks and techniques and the curation and, and um, control of content. And I think people over time through the history of, of advanced capitalism start to get at like what's really God damn it. Hold on. I just heard my Facebook go off. What the fuck? You know that ding sound that yes. Facebook does? I haven't heard it in a long Walk time, but I know <laughs> the notifications. <Close>. Fuck. <laughs> I have it open for the Team Full Rom forum, and then somebody's like DMing me, which I don't even check Facebook DMs anymore. So I'm like, nope, 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 nope. Um, as capitalism progresses, every human over several years and every for sure new generation, they're more savvy to how you market to them and how you talk to them. And there's a general trend I've at least observed of just more genuineness. Like, Steve, you've ever seen like commercials for stuff in the from the 1940s and 50s? It's like, man, if you get this bubble gum, you'll have all your dreams come true. See? And, like, ah, see? and people are like, that commercial fucked. You know, that commercial people are like, I love it. And they go buy bubble gum. Nowadays, you bake that, but like, okay, this is hilariously retro. You're not serious, are you? Nowadays, you get celebrities coming in and endorsing various products, and they'll be like, look, real talk, I just use it. It's great. And, and here's why it's great. You can't, like, it's either got to be kind of funny, like Geico's commercials, which are totally ir irreverent, or it's got to be like real people, real users, real results. And a lot of that is like, Who's going to fucking listen to Glax, GlaxoSmithKline or whatever for the fucking pharmaceutical commercials? I don't give them a faceless mega conglomerate. I don't believe them anything they say. But if they have a real person says, look, I use the shit and it works. I'm like, damn, OK, that's for real. So I think when people want to just keep their content exclusively professional on their social media platforms, there's not a thing wrong with that. But if you show a little bit of your humanity, I think a lot of people connect with that. And they go, this is a human being. Like, you know, when I talk about the RPI Pertrophy app. Uh, I always try to say, like, I love the app. I fucking use it. I'm never, ever training without it ever again. But also, like, you can have great training without the app. And the app is one of many good apps. Like, if I was to just be like, nah, hypertrophy app's the only one that works, eh? and everything else just sucks. Like, first of all, it's not true. Not in the business of lying. But also, like, it doesn't work to do that anymore. Yeah. You got to be more honest with people. They've seen all the commercials. Uh, you know, when you were doing uh, video or uh, television commercials to people in the 40s and 50s, 
they may have never seen more than several commercials in their lives. So the degree of, you know, like the stereotype of like the goth kid teenager, like yep. everything to them is derivative. Like oh, I've heard that before, <laughs> like nothing new under the sun. That's kind of how we all are nowadays, not in the negative sense, but in like, you're not going to be surprised. Like people still get shocked about internet memes. I'm like what the fuck, how old are you, bro? Like there's nothing on the internet that's going to shock me ever. Like when I got on the internet in 2002 or whatever, I was in the dorms and we instantly went straight to like defecation porn donkeys having sex with people i saw it all and after that you're just like whatever everything's all old hat so when you come to folks and try to sell them products if you're kind of working on the heuristic that they've just never seen advertisements before your ads are going to feel really like inorganic and kind of very constrained but you have to understand that everyone nowadays like when i talk to young people which i can't believe how, how fuck i'm dating myself with that comment oh young people see um because i'm like basically 40 i'm 39 years old and i regularly deal with uh like 22 23 year olds etc i just did a collab with jesse james west and he's 23 these fucking kids man they're way more savvy than we were but why because they're exposed to so much more media they have like just way they're just smarter they just exposed to more data stream all the time and so you can't trick them with like man colgate toothpaste will fix all your problems this is not gonna work because they're gonna be like this is absurd so at the end they think where we're getting with advertising and marketing is i think organic brands are not the new thing they are more and more the thing that works best over time um and i think that's something to lean into and I think like you, Steve, like you're known for Revive Stronger, but you're also known for being Steve Hall. And that's, there are companies out there that whatever it is you and I do, they can do better. They're smarter people than us. People can make better apps. They make better coaching, make better training. There's better people than all of us. And the machines will eventually be better than us by orders of magnitude. But nobody's going to replace the Steve Hall. Because even if we have an AI avatar that studies you and a bunch of your data and can replicate all of your facial expressions, talk almost exactly like you, everyone still knows that's not really Steve Hall. And there is a premium for the real Steve Hall. I want to talk to that real Steve Hall. And if there is nothing to you except bullshit marketing hype, like Greg Doucette, you've got an AI to study all of his shit. I guarantee you it can do a better job than Greg Doucette at being Greg Doucette. Yeah. But if he was a genuine original person, then you could be like, oh, okay, like I want to see what the real Greg Doucette has to say. I Almost certainly not. I guarantee you in, in a couple months, couple years, when we have like visual avatars that look exactly like us study on our YouTube content, I guarantee you Greg Doucette's going to make half his videos. I guarantee it's more of a joke, but there's no reason he can't make more, most of his videos just like type a topic for the Greg Doucette AI to talk about and just be like, make a 20 minute video ranting about this in the Iago voice. Like, ah, Greg Doucette here, ah. and that's it. It'll, and no one will be able to tell the difference uh, because it's a fake voice, fake character. But if it's a real person, even if people can't tell the difference, a lot of people still be curious, like, mm, is this the AI? And that's another, while I'm ranting, really quick, I'm almost done. There's going to be a big thing in the future where uh, almost everyone's going to have AI replicas uh, in video. Like it's nominally easy already for your AI to take all of your, especially if you train it on a lot of huge data set. Steve, how many times have you been on podcasts? Oh my fucking God. How many things have you said? How many things have you written? It's going to study you all your facial expressions, fill in all the blanks with data science. And it's going to be able to look exactly like you and talk exactly like you. But as that happens, there's going to be more and more of a premium on people wondering and needing to know, is this AI or is this the real Steve Hall? And that, if there is no real Steve Hall, if you're just a marketing ploy, um, V-Shred. Steve, who's the real V-Shred? What the fuck does that yeah. even mean? There is no real V-Shred. He's a guy who reads a script. AI can for sure do his job 100%, which is great for him. He never needs to appear again and gets royalties. But if you want to make more money and be more organic and original, I think there's a huge open space for that in the future. My, my humble prediction, I might be wrong and AI will just do everything and then sweet.
I, I really like that discussion actually because I think almost every time I do like a outreach for Q and A and questions for Mike, like there's quite often questions about coaching and like how to get into coaching, how to be a better coach, how to grow your coaching business. And when I think about like the what differentiates people within the space of like online coaching, more at my level than like RP's level, like you guys are absolutely huge but more at the kind of like personal brand level, which kind of revives stronger is like me and Pascal and the team, mm -hmm. more of personal brands. It is that like, hey, everyone can talk a good talk of science. Everyone has access to mass. They have access to the RP, um, eBooks, hypertrophy mm -hmm. techs. We have Brad mm -hmm. Schoenfeld. We can all talk science. What's your opinion on topics? Like what makes you different? Yes. Like yes. show your personality, which is exactly what you were talking about there. And that at least is what I found. Like, it's like you said, you put out a joke. If I put out something and I'm like, I barely put any effort into this, but it shows a bit of personality. Normally that gets way more attention. It kind of endears people to you. Yes. Because like you said, it's like, hey, the person behind, yeah, yeah, I know you know science, yes. but what else? Like, they what get makes the information you like anywhere you? <laughs> else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I think that was a good uh, starting point to talk about that. And yeah, you touched on a lot of things that I could easily go on to some sort of tangent, but I won't sure. because I know you met uh, Greg Doucette actually. And you doing, yeah. I saw your Greg Doucette impression and he was kind of like, I don't know why he, had, he didn't know how to respond to it almost. Uh, he so didn't. yeah, it's, uh, he actually did a, to talk about, and I don't watch barely any of his videos, but I just saw one popped up and it was like his Olympia. He was just discussing the Olympia. That was much more personal. That was much more Greg, it seemed at least. I don't know his stuff. I've never met him. And that that for me endeared me to him much more than like any of his like Natty or Not or whatever videos he, he mm -hmm. put out there. So again, it's just credit to what you're saying. But to talk about the Olympia, my first question is like, I don't know if anything comes to mind. How was it generally? Is it is it growing year on year? Like, is it still as a, much of a spectacle as previously? I have no idea. I am uh, unavailable to those metrics entirely. So I just don't know. Um, the Olympia to me was a big trip because it was the second time that Jared and I realized in like a soulful way that like we're famous in that space and that's a trip because there's a big difference between walking into a conference of 200 people and people being like, oh, it's Dr. Mike. Oh. Someone comes up, shakes your hand. Cool. You go up, give a talk, talk with people, have dinner afterwards. Sweet. Then in that same time when I was that level of famous, if I go to the Arnold, I'd mostly walk around, mostly anonymity. And every now and again, someone would be like, Dr. Mike? And I'd be like, yep, what's up? And would take a picture, shake hands, blah, blah, blah. At last year's Arnold, 2023 Arnold, we weren't ready for this. Was Jared and I walked in and we couldn't go anywhere because people would come up to us quicker than we could take steps. And that was like, it was the entire time. We were there for like six hours and there was a line and it was insane. And I was like, what the fuck? It was amazing. But I just wasn't, I was like, oh, this is a real thing. And you can track it to how many followers we have on YouTube, right? So when we were at the Arnold this past year, we had something like high 300s. Uh, maybe around 400K uh, YouTube subscribers. We were over 800K last weekend at the Olympia. And what ended up happening was it's not just that we couldn't go anywhere. It's that if we ever stopped, a line would form to take pictures with us. Like, like you know, when uh, you see animations of how cellular processes work and the ribosome comes in 
and eclipsin, the first amino acid, and a line of amino acids forms out of that as like the the, the protein strand is being built. Like, chick, 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 like that. That's that's what happened. And I was like, holy shit! And at the end, when we had to leave, like that picture I had on Instagram of Nick and I like uh, holding each other walking. He did that so that he could get me out because if I just walked myself, it would be like, nope, people, people, people. And that was an enormous trip. And I lost Jared a few times. I was like, where's my son, my boy. <laughs> um, Cause he had to go talk to pros. People pull him aside. And um, it was a real nutty experience. So officially my experience at the Olympia, at least the expo is no longer one of an observer who sees how things work. It is one of, I'm part of the attraction, which for my OnlyFans, I'm used to that just being through DMs, feet pics, but uh, it was really trippy to experience in real life. Um, and I'm still adjusting to the idea of why the fuck people want to talk to me at all. And my only goal when I talk to anyone is I, I want to treat people like human beings. Like, yes, I'm more famous, but that doesn't mean shit. And that's not how I measure value by a long shot. You're like Liver King's more famous than most people, but like it was like, hey, like, you know, the fucking trolley problem. There's like a baby in this track and Liver King on that track. I'd be like, can we make the train go faster towards Liver King? <laughs> how many babies would I be willing to sacrifice to get rid of Liver King? Huh? Jokes, all jokes. But so fame is whatever, um, but most people don't see it like that. So when people come up to me at the Olympia at the Arnold, quite a few of them, when I shake their hands and when I hold their waist for pictures, they're nervous. They're shaking. And I want to do my best job possible to just hit them with as many jokes as I can to chill it out. And I want to talk to people as much with a common humanity because of all the things that make me feel uncomfortable, um, hierarchical interpersonal dynamics are like really high up on the list. I, I absolutely do not enjoy being seen as an authority, uh, being seen as famous, being seen as like a greater than in any case. Like whenever I talk to any human being, I always see myself as just another person and really not that great of a person either. I'm usually much more looking up to people than vice versa. And when that script is flipped and they're like, oh my God, Dr. Mike, and they don't have anything to say because they're choking up. I'm like, let me make this easy for you. The doctors, when they were doing my surgery for to remove my foreskin, they mangled my penis such that I can't even pee straight. And they just start laughing. And I'm like, oh, get in here. Let's take a picture. And they're like, is that true? I'm like, I never can tell unless we go to the bathroom right now. And then maybe maybe you can find out for a fee, of course. I'll just show my dick for free. But, um, you know, I just try to get the jokey with them. And uh, because when there's tension, like anxiety, I'm just like, why? I know they're not having the best time because they're anxious. You could be having a better time if you were less anxious. So what can I do about it? I, I, I can't take the pressure off because I'm the reason they're anxious, but I can insert some jokes into the equation and kind of humanize the interaction. And a lot of times people will be like, Dr. Mike, and they'll start shaking my hand. And I'll be like, what's your name? You have a name too. You already know my name. I don't know yours. Now, I forget people. I'm like a fucking canary. I forget people's names instantly. I forget people's faces instantly, but I want to know your name because I want to be an equal footing. And I ask people questions about how their training is going. Talk to me, come talk to me like a real person, you know? Um, so that's kind of my goal. So most of my efforts at the Olympia are just like making sure I'm representing, uh, making sure everyone's having a good time. Now I do have an exception to that rule. If you think my humor is awkward and offensive, you're going to have a bad time. And, uh, 
Well, I, you probably just wouldn't come up to me if you thought that was the case. So I think, you know, every 10 people, one person gets a little weirded out. Eh, it's the cost of doing business. Yeah. Now, I'm never intending to do that. And if I notice it weirds you out, I'll for sure cool it. I'll be like, hey, okay, yeah, do you want to take a picture, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, see you later. But um, that's my entire perception of the Olympia. I did, however, we managed to get some tickets to the uh, pre-judging and the night show. And uh, I did get a chance to see the Olympia in real life. Although, although we will say we were sufficiently far away from the stage, which is true for 97% of everyone at the Olympia, that you're not seeing the bodybuilders in real life, you're seeing them on the big screen. And then like, honestly, yeah. like the big screen and your Instagram replay of that is essentially identical. So um, th my experience there was it's the same as everyone had. Um, although again, like uh, walking into and out of or through the, the seats and the crowd at the Olympia, like a lot more people you know, people look at you and you can tell they know who you are. There's a lot of that. And I was like, what the fuck? Because, and I'm used to anonymity. I'm used to just a fucking coasting through. No one knows who I am. I love it that way. And now it's just not a thing anymore in that fitness space. I'm just like, oh. very well. We went to go train at the gym. Uh, there's a gym there called Iron Religion. It's in Orlando. And that's kind of, it's kind of like the gym that pros go to when they're at the Olympia. And not just pros, but everyone, like, you go in there and you're like, okay, 80% of these people would fail a fucking steroid test. Like, that's not a joke. It's not an exaggeration. Like, the girls are jacked. The guys are jacked. Everyone's all, almost all competitors and, and people who are in the industry, tons of cameras and, and, and videography going on. And Jared and I couldn't get a set in without someone coming up and saying something. Uh, and it was just wild. I was like, whoa, holy shit. Like, uh, this is a trip. And so that that's, to be totally honest with you, Steve, that was my experience of the Olympia. And I feel like unless we get canceled here tomorrow or some shit like that by the time we do the arnold which i will be for folks listening i will be at the arnold uh, uh in uh, in the u.s in columbus ohio in the first weekend of march and uh by the time we do the arnold we're almost certainly going to have over a million subscribers and like this is going to be even nuttier so getting approaching the arnold you already see people who know who you are and shit like that and uh I did a collab, I, like I said, at the, that gym with Jesse James West, and I, I didn't know much about his, like, how much followers he had or whatever. I looked it up right after. He's 3.25 million subscribers. And so while we were training with him, multiple people came up between sets to ask for pictures. And he was really cool about it because he was like, um, can, can I finish this workout and then I'll for sure take a picture with you? He didn't even interrupt our workout, which I thought he would, which all, all, because you're resting between sets, I thought would have been totally cool. You know, unless he's like fucking talking for five minutes and we're like, come on, set mm -hmm. two here. But he didn't. He was really good about very politely telling people, hey, give me a minute. I also have to say uh, the vast majority of people that came up to ask about stuff and talk to him were like very, very attractive young women. And uh, Steve, that's not been my experience. And um, for a variety of reasons, and zero very attractive young women come and talk to me. I'm kidding, uh, a few here and there. But uh, I was like, really like, holy shit, this is like some movie star shit. Um, so yeah, that was, it's, it's a trip. And then for me, and this is something I actually heard on a Chris Williamson podcast, obviously I ain't shit, whatever, 850K subscribers on YouTube, who gives a fuck? Like in the grand scheme, that's meaningless. But imagine being someone X a hundred, X a thousand, for example, The Rock. Steve, you can't go anywhere. I mean, anywhere. You might be able to go to like Vietnam to a five-star resort and then like three out of five people don't know who you are. Two out of five people know exactly who you are. The wait staff know who you are. Like, how does that work, man? 
Like, imagine you walk down a street in London. Are you like, let's say you're like looking a bit disheveled or you just don't want to talk to anyone. Like you're in kind of a mood. You and your girl had a little bit of a tiff and you make up later, but for now you're just walking the dog. Like, God damn it. Think, just thinking about shit. What is it? Steve, are you, are you concerned? Someone's going to come up to you and you're like, Oh my God, Steve Hall, revive strong. Right? Like, nah. I'm not concerned about that. When I walk around my hometown, imagine the rock. Steve, he can't go for a walk ever anywhere. Where's he going to go? He just starts walking in New York city mob. You can't That's even nuts. wear a disguise. You couldn't wear a disguise either, probably. Like, you kind of look a bit... <laughs> you probably could wear a disguise somehow, but, like, I could wear a disguise, you know? I look very normal, like, compared to if, if, you guys. Yes. <laughs> if, you did, if you did the fucking, like, um, Mr. Robot look where you had just the hoodie, like, yeah, like, whatever. So some, like, white dude in a hoodie. There's a million of you. Even in a hoodie, someone's like, that was an awkward looking physique. Is that Dr. Mike? Like the hoodie <laughs> helps or whatever, but it's not everything. I did when I was leaving the Olympia, I would put my hood up so that Crystal and I could get out. And we still got stopped five times. But like, I remember, you know, the Arnold, uh, when Arnold comes to the Arnold, he actually has armed security that goes around with him everywhere, yeah. like 20 guys. Baffling, baffling. And something on that Chris Williamson podcast that uh, it, uh, it was another, I forget who it was, some very successful person. They were talking about fame and levels. They were talking about uh, Chris Williamson had met up with the founder of Gymshark, whose personal net worth exceeds 200, 250 million, like wild stuff or 300 or something like that. He's it was roughly equivalent in net worth to Drake, the rapper. And they're like, because this guy is not a front facing personality, Chris met him at Nando's in London and like his, the guy had a personal assistant there and it was just him. He was sitting at a table. Nobody came up to him. Nobody knew who he was. It was just the, the worst 300 million fucking dollars just sitting there. We trained folks, Nick and I were trained at a gym in New York, very high level people. I don't know how the fuck we got into that whole thing, but they made a mistake. They hired us. And there were a few people that trained at the gym that were known billionaires. And we had to be told who they were because they just looked like old white dudes to us. And they looked like old white dudes to every single other person in New York City. And then on the Chris Williamson same podcast, he said, imagine if you were Drake and you tried to walk to Nando's in London, you couldn't make it 10 steps. You couldn't walk to Nando's. You might not even be able to get a limo to Nando's. As soon as you got out, everyone on that Nando's is fucking losing their mind. Same net worth, completely different level of fame. And it makes you think like some people are like, yeah, man, you know, fame is tough. Like, Shut the fuck up count your money motherfucker it's yeah. great it's great i'm not here to tell you it's tough or some bullshit like that it's honestly an honor a huge privilege it's it's a fantasy but it gets weird sometimes and if it gets weird at my level it must get really weird at you know like the rocks level or some shit or drake where you really aren't your life doesn't work like a regular person's life anymore you might want it to but it's not so maybe those guys when they get older and less relevant Maybe they actually enjoy that in some cases, like older, like Tom Selleck was the man in the 80s. There's no way Tom Selleck would anywhere in 1986 not have trillion people talk to him. But in, in, in you know 2010 or whatever, 2015, Tom Selleck's just like an old dude with a mustache. And a lot of people in just a regular city, especially younger folks, we don't know who he is. He might be walking around New York right now being like, all right, I finally get to walk around New York City. This is amazing. Something I couldn't do for 30 years. It's a trip, right? Yeah, I can. It's actually funny you mentioned me walking down here. Um, it actually happened to me on the weekend. Someone picked me out. I was in John Lewis and he just came. It's like a department store. He just came up mm -hmm. to me and was like, You're Steve Hall, right? I was like, Yeah. Mm -hmm. It like, happens to me so irregularly. Like, it's like, and I, 
I imagine you deal with it better than like if I was at like I can't even imagine being at your level because I just get like I'm not as socially comfortable and uh, extroverted I'm more introverted and I get embarrassed very easily in those sort of scenarios I'd be the person coming up for a photo with you and be like holy shit this is Mike I hope my hand isn't too sweaty Uh, so yeah I can't even I imagine there's a sweet spot for fame but I imagine it's also individual dependent and I think you're probably someone who can deal with it better than uh, many. I love it. I, there's not, and there's not, unless it becomes physically inconvenient. Like I have to go do a workout, but I, there's people in front of me and I can't be mean to them and just walk around them. I have to say hello to everyone up until that point. I got all the time in the world for that shit, man. I love talking to people. As you know, my conversational stream is essentially endless. I don't really get tired because some people like when I was told this is, is funny. People might appreciate this. I was told, I don't know how true this is, but it seems relatively, uh, something to it. Um, it could be an old wives tale, but I believe there's something to it. Introverts can be defined as people for whom conversing with others is draining, even though if they're competent and quite good at it, even though if they enjoy it, it's quite draining. Like we enjoy training, but you're not going to train for eight hours a day. Like it costs you. And then extroverts are people who are enlivened and invigorated by conversation and seeing other humans. And that actually drains them to be alone. Um, I don't know how true that is. I think there's definitely some truth to that. Mm. For me, it's definitely draining to talk to people, but no more draining than just being awake. So like after 14 straight hours of talking to people, I need some quiet time, but any less than that. And I'm like, yeah, like if I talk to someone for four hours straight, someone's like, you probably want to chill out. Right. I'm like, well, yeah. Do you want to chill out in the hotel room and talk? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. fuck. So, you know, and I love listening to people. I don't have to talk all the time. Um, and it's funny, uh, some of my friends are even more extreme than, than I am. Uh, our COO, uh, Jacob, COORP, Chief Operations Officer, um, him and I went a few times to India. And on the flight back, he was sitting next to uh, a businessman on uh, Egypt Airlines. There's a seven-hour flight. Steve, he and that guy had a conversation that lasted the entire seven hours. And the guy, like, they hugged afterwards, shook hands, <laughs> business cards. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that's so impressive. And both of them were having the fucking time of their lives. So to your point of it depends on who you are, if you are naturally quite extroverted, I'm extremely extroverted seemingly. I wasn't always like that. Uh, but as I grew up and became an adult, I realized like, oh, actually, I absolutely can talk to people for forever. And I love doing it. Um, if someone like spots me at the store and they're like, Dr. Mike, I'm never like, oh, fuck. I'm like, oh, hey, what's up? You know, like, great. Uh, if that's your disposition, whenever you get more famous, you're going to have a good time with it generally. On the other hand, it's not always the case. And some people didn't get famous because they're good at talking. Imagine famous actors. Some people are unbelievable actors, but they're not gab machines like I am. Some musicians, business people. I don't know how much Bill Gates likes to talk to people. I mean, he's a, a computer programmer at the beginning. He can't really go anywhere without a lot of people being like, Bill Gates. That might be tough. So some people get into getting a lot of fame and they're not extroverted. Like it makes sense, like podcast hosts and stuff like um, Huberman, Rogan, like, of, of course they like to fucking talk. That's what they do for a living. And they're really good at it. And it's always seamless. Like, you can tell when someone just like, yeah, that's what they do. But some people, they get quite famous and it drains them. And for them, it's really comes down to management. And I think 
because it drains me to some extent. And it also like my wife has much less bandwidth for it. Um, she really likes her privacy because for her, and she was one of the people that introduced me to this idea of what introversion versus extroversion is, is she's like, I can hang with people, but for me, my, my point of which I can't do it anymore is way earlier than it is for you. And so I have to balance that. And so for folks that have a certain bandwidth above which they're like, I can't interact with people anymore. They got to construct their plans and their life and as they gain fame, et cetera, in a little bit more of a care, careful situation, you know, like, okay, um, maybe it used to be that we took vacations where we walk around the city and stuff like that, you know, I don't know, go to Barcelona and just fucking walk around. But if you're like Ashton Kutcher, and maybe let's pretend he's an introvert, you don't just go to Barcelona to walk around, you'll just be talking to fans the entire fucking time. That's just not a vacation you can take anymore. And so it's, what can you do? Like, well, you go to a super elite resort for rich people where all the staff is briefed. Like everyone here is famous. Don't you fucking dare ask for an autograph or talk to them about who the fuck they are. He's just out, you know? Um, and then that's kind of how you ever like, um, see like people magazine or some shit. And it's like, they take people, uh, rich people on vacation photos, but it's like a 50 times zoom lens and it's rich people on their yacht. Yeah. And it's like, why are they, do they think they're better than us? Why are they on their yacht? Like, no, no, no. Ma many of them I'm sure think they're better, but many don't. They just can't be at a regular hotel with other people because then they are the attraction, but they're trying to go on vacation, which means they don't want to be the center of attention maybe. And then yes, yeah, like literally the, the yacht has a water around it. And that's the thing keeping them away from everyone else. Huge. Like you can, say it, you can believe it, you can understand it intellectually. But for me at a very tiny, pathetic level from YouTube fame, it's been happening more and more. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is a thing. Like you're also potentially always being watched. Like, okay, real talk, this is disgusting, but like, <laughs> oh, fuck it, I'll say it. This is stupid, I'll regret saying this. When I was a young child, I was taught not to pick my nose like everyone else. And mostly I don't, Steve. But you know, every now and again, man, like you're on a flight and you got one of these like, hard boogies and you can't <laughs> breathe and you got a napkin there, but you can't stuff the napkin on and you blow it, but nothing happens. Like, bro, real talk. I'm, I'm, I'm getting in there. I'll wash my hands after, but I'm going to fucking pick my nose. I don't give a fuck. Usually like, it's just some one lady looking at you, pick your nose. And she's like, "Ugh," and you're like, man, sorry. And you go wash your hands and it's all well. But like, if you're famous, there could be a video of you picking your nose on the internet in the sec next second. Or someone could tell 50 of their friends, like, dude, I saw The Rock picking his fucking nose. Isn't that gross? And all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every time I'm out in public, I'm really, I don't have privacy in the truest sense of the word. Because people say like, oh, you're at home, it's privacy. Even when you're in the store, the department store, technically you're in public. Like, technically, but nobody knows you. There's an anonymity, an anonymity to crowds. Like you just disappear. You can't anymore. And that's a trip. Like, that's a fucking trip. I fucking, oh God, these stories. Steve, you're going to get me fucking canceled. I'm going to get myself canceled. You're not asking for any of this. I was at a, a wedding of two of my very, very excellent friends. And it turns out because they're in the fitness space, something like 80% of the people at the wedding didn't know me as Mike Isratel. They knew me as Dr. Mike. And I was like, oh my God. Like, so I was high on marijuana. Because I'm like, oh, I'm with my friends. I just totally didn't think that through. And then people are coming up to like shake my hand and talk to me about sports science. And I'm like, oh, fuck. I didn't know I was going to have to show up here as Dr. Mike. Fuck. <laughs> and then uh, here's the pertinent story. I like went in and this is ridiculous for sure. Uh, someone feel free to clip this. Even in context is stupid. Out of context, it's even better. Um, you know, like, so I, I took a leak in the bathroom. You know, zip, like, shake it off, zip up the fly. But like, 
sometimes you get like a splotch of urine here and there on your pants. It dries up, you know, like this is just part of being a man. It was just something that happens to everyone. I walk out of the bathroom and like half the wedding venue is looking at me and I'm like, oh, God damn it. Because I knew I had like a little fucking just tiny little things, a little piss stain on my fucking pants. And I was like, OK, normally you'd be like, who gives a shit? But now I'm like, oh, my God, like these people are like a Dr. Mike pissed his pants, which I pee my pants regularly. It's cathartic. But uh, it was one of these things where like every little thing about you, you're out in public real quick. Last thing, Chris Williamson, I forgot fucking who the, the podcaster he was on. Um, it was some famous guy. And he's like, um, one thing he said was, so this guy who Chris Williamson had on is like ascending in fame. I don't know what he does, some kind of tech business guy. And he had an opportunity to meet some people in the royal family of uh, of Her Majesty's United Kingdom. And as my dad always tells British people when he's on vacation, when he finds out they're British, he goes, rule Britannia. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, we're not <laughs> supposed to say that anymore. He's like, fuck it. I love it. So in any case, this guy had an opportunity to meet people in the royal family. And this guy is already like, you know, whatever, I don't know, 10 million YouTube subs or whatever this guy is like famous, famous, right? But there's levels to this. And he told Chris Williamson something fucking insane. He was like, everyone around me knows that like, they don't send me screenshots of people talking shit about me. They don't send me opinion pieces about me because it's cluttered. I don't want it. And everyone, all of my friends know this because they never do it, which is, I think, a really excellent policy, you know? He's like, that being the case, those are very same people. And he's like, I don't blame them for it. Everyone in my life, when I met, I think he meant like, I don't want to misquote, but like the princess or the, the prince or something, prince, one of, one of the princes. I don't, in the US, some of us know the royal family well, some of us just know they exist. Um, he met one of the princes, I think, prince and princess, and he's like, everybody I knew, bar a few people, asked the same question. What were they like in real life? And he's like, it hit me then that when you're a regular person and you meet someone, they judge you, you judge them, and that's it. When you're a regular person, so when you're a famous person, sufficiently famous, and you meet someone, that interaction that you have, they're going to tell every single fucking person they know about how it went. They're going to tell you general impressions. So if you're Prince Charles, or Prince Charles, is that a thing? Is that a human being? Yes. Is that, okay. And Harry and William. Uh... Every, Prince Harry. I only know one Harry, and it's Harry Potter. But uh, <laughs> so Prince Harry, right? Let's say you're Prince Harry. And you talk to someone because they're at some dinner and there's some business person, blah, blah, blah. Like whatever, the royal family shit. Let's say you're fucking feeling yourself. They tell all their friends you're the fucking man. Let's say it's another night, different person, some guy from Dubai. And like the last thing you saw before you came to dinner was like whoever your girl is or your friends, like one of your friends like sends you a DM. He's like, hey, man, I've been going through a lot and I realize like our friendship isn't sustainable. This is a guy you knew for eight years and loved. And he's like, I'm just going to see myself out of your life. And you're at the dinner, like sitting there thinking like, oh, my fucking God, Frank fucking gone, bro. I can't fucking believe it. Should I DM him? Is that I'm becoming? Because he said at the end of the DM, like, don't contact me, please. Like, this is all for the best. We're just on different paths. You're sitting there thinking about your friend that you just lost. And the guy from Dubai is like, so, Harry. How you doing? And you're like, um, yeah, uh, good, <laughs> good, good. And then the fucking guy from Dubai goes and tells those people, what was Harry like? And it'd be like, oh, he's kind of aloof, kind of fucking distant, a little like, I found a little bit kind of like a classist thing where I th thought he was too good to talk to me. It was like, none of that's true. None of that's true. But you don't get a second chance. And look, if you're just some person, nobody's like, how was Steve Hall? Like, I don't know. How was Dr. Mike when you met him? Like, I don't know. It's fucking Dr. Mike. Weird steroid head. That's all they hear about me. But if you're Prince Harry, everyone you fucking who meets you, all their friends are like, what was he like? 
And then every time you talk to anyone, you are repping yourself, which is almost exactly the same thing, exactly the same thing as posting on social media. Because when people, people are surprised when they post themselves on social media, they get the comments and the criticisms, but that's because you're on social media. Usually in private life, that effect isn't real, but for famous people, it is real. And I tell you what, there's a bunch of people for whom social media is really disruptive psychologically in their own lives, because all of a sudden they get feedback from people they would have never talked to. I guarantee you for super famous people, social media was like, oh, oh, this is like, I'm used, I'm used to this. As a matter of fact, I can curate my content. Holy shit, this is even easier. I guarantee you when I guarantee you the rock never had a time where he was like, oh man, Instagram comments really have me down. I guarantee you that didn't fucking happen because he's been doing that with real life. Like, uh, famous people have been living in social media their entire lives. Like People Magazine, that's technically print social media. They've been in it a bunch. They know how it is. They've seen people talk shit about them. There's people on talk shows that talk shit about them. Like, oh, you see the rock in his last movie? What a disaster. Like, oh my God. But like, it's a trippy thing when like, every if you're new to that kind of fame you have to realize like oh wow like i'm kind of watched all the time anytime i I talk to someone there's a chance they know who i am and there's a chance they tell other people about it so if you care about managing your reputation that's a trip lots of thoughts and for some reason the stupid thoughts i have are the i only have picking (laughs) picking the nose sure i just always do the like you know hand over the nose they don't know Mm -hmm. what's going on up there you can Mm -hmm. hide that and then uh, the other that's one good, is... That's good spycraft. I'm, I'm like, if I pee, <laughs> pee on myself, it's because I'm washing my hands, you know, the sink splashes everywhere, like it's yes. just water. Like, yes, that's but no why one I knows. assume people know. <laughs> yeah, who knows I what they know, man. My mind. I assume you pissed your pants. I don't know that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that must be weird. Like, yeah, you're being... There's surveillance looking at you, but no, there's people like looking at you and digesting and taking it in and... Yeah, you want to, you're representing yourself, but also in, in some way, Renaissance periodization as well. So you have to be aware of all of that and yeah. kind of be on always like thinking yes. that too. Yes. So I think it's helped because you talk about literally what you just talked about. You humanize yourself. You don't make out as if you're this perfect individual and you have this facade about you. <laughs> Could you imagine that uphill battle? <laughs> exactly. You're so perfect. Why does your head look like that? I'm like, oh God, you're right. I am ugly. <laughs> I don't realize that. When people see you do like normal human things, like you said, ev- like everyone does these things, right? Just people don't publicly talk about them very often. They try and be discreet about it. Like f- the whole, whole like women don't fart or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, what the yeah, fuck? They do. I, yeah, they do. You live with a woman, you're like, oh shit, that's right. Biology is still a thing. Yeah. There you go. So, but I think because you talk about these sort of things, like when people, see, like it helps you in then those situations where it happens. It's like, ah, oh, like maybe this or whatever. Yep. Uh, whereas some people try and, curate this perfect like hey this is me i'm this person that's tough and then in real life yeah. they're completely different yeah one of the things i get feedback very very often when people meet me in real life and even on the internet after they've met me in real life because sometimes in the comments section they'll be like i met dr mike and here's what he's like people are sometimes shocked they're like oh oh you're the same person as you are on youtube i'm like well, what do you mean like i neither have the intellectual ability nor the acting ability, nor the patience to pretend I'm somebody else. Like also with so much cognitive overhead, putting on an act. Like I tried that shit when I was in high school, you know, like when I had no identity and I was a pathetic piece of shit, you try to act tougher than you are, act cooler than you are. You're not vulnerable ever. And my biggest recommendation to anyone who struggles with like putting on a face is stop putting on the face. Now, obviously the shit I say to my friends in real life that I don't say in the real world and I don't say in podcasts, you know, like straight up, like, the degree of politically insensitive humor that my friends and I share is like, it is exactly as insane as you would, 
you can or cannot imagine. No one is safe. No, like um, I have a text thread with a bunch of my my friends and we literally like every single race you could imagine is represented in my friend group. And like the amount of anti-Semitic jokes is like maximum. Like, and of course I'm dishing them out as well as taking them. And a lot of them are like, it's just like banging you on the head with just like crude humor. I don't typically do that out in the world because I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. And some stuff you can't say in public because you get canceled for it. Like still YouTube has a term of service, so I can't exactly say everything that's on my mind. But I'm used to not saying completely insane shit. I'm capping that. But there's a very big difference between having everything you could say and a very distinct part of that you clip off and go, nah, versus the circle of everything you are. You look, ooh, I'm going to emphasize this, de-emphasize that, move this here, move that there, construct a different personality for yourself. If you do that, uh, that would be hard. That would take a lot out of you. Then I understand why it would be really difficult to talk to people for hours on end because you're like, I have to put put the personality on. So I have a joke with my wife and a few friends, like time to be Dr. Mike. But the reality is that it just means don't say crazy racist humor. And everything else goes, you know, well, you know, there's all other humor, like, again, my friend group of people will say like, oh, what do you talk to Scott, the video guy about between takes? Like we have a distinct understanding that once the red light is on for the camera, even our jokes are completely different tenor. When the red light is off. Oh my God. Dude, oh my God. It would, it would be like five minutes of you hearing how Scott and I talk behind the scenes would get us canceled permanently off every platform. And again, it's all jokes. It's all meant well, like. You know, like I'm, I'm a fucking classical liberal. Everyone's entitled to all the rights, blah, blah, blah. I, I speak about that till I'm blue in the face at a highly intellectual level, as a matter of fact. So I have no, I have no compunction about if, I'm, if someone actually accused me of hatred, which recently, I'll talk about that later at some point. Recently, I was accused formally of being misogynistic, racist, homophobic, et cetera. To me, this isn't even like, it didn't even irritate me because I'm like, well, I know those things are not true for a fact. So it's like, whatever. If someone could accuse me of being a magician, I'd be like, uh, I wish, <laughs> I don't know any magic. So uh, outside of like that part of it, um, if you're basically yourself in how you present to social media, how you present in the real world, how you present to your family and friends, um, you got, it's much easier to do. It's much more psychologically sustainable and it's honestly a better time and it's so low stress. So when people say like, oh, I met you in real life and you're still Dr. Mike, cause people are like, oh, I wonder what he's like. And then they get to me and I'm like, joke, 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 zany humor, self-effacing humor. And they're like, holy shit, this is you. And I'm like, well, yeah, no shit. What do you, what, what did you think? And, and a lot of feedback that I got from people is they're like, some people are just really, really different in person versus online. And I'm like, I do not envy those people. Maybe it's a cool way to go, but I mean, Steve, that's tough, right? You think that's really yeah. tough. Um, I actually have, uh, sometimes I have trouble hanging out with my parents because they expect me to act like a very well-cultured Russian boy. And that means like, I can't make dick jokes to my parents because it's considered like a different, like we have basically like a age caste system in Russia. There's a whole different conjugation. Like um, if you talk to an older person, they have this in in in, uh, in a Spanish language too. It's like if you're speaking in in Japanese, there's a whole different way of addressing people in Korean that are above you. All older people, all people of status, you literally speak to them differently, and that's like it's cool culture, it's sweet. But fuck, man, that ain't me, you know. Because like I said earlier, I just generally assume everyone's on the same page, um, and so if I have to like talk to you like you're above or beneath or whatever, I'm like, what the fuck are we doing? And I get in trouble with my parents all the time because like you can't make dick jokes at dinner, and I'm like, 
because if I can't make dick jokes, the fuck am I supposed to do, man? Every other joke that comes to mind, I'm like, I can't say it. So so my parents would be like, oh, Misha, you're being very quiet. And I'm like, that's because everything I want to say, I can't say, God damn it. You know what I mean? Like like if I if I was met, you know, RIP, if I met the Queen of England, they'd be like, oh, what did you talk about? Like, what am I going to say to the Queen, man? I'm going to be like, ma'am, hello? And like, she'd be like, what, what, what's on your mind, Mike? I'd be like, you don't want to know. You know? She might love it. She probably is very used to being spoken in a very like hierarchical formal way, manner. I imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's like, cut me the real deal. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want to get in the back and get it popping? She's like, hell yeah, I never thought you'd say that. And then that's it. Your boy's king, baby, king for a few minutes anyway, a few seconds in my case. <laughs> uh, to flip the script a little bit, um, I don't know if there's how much you want to talk about it. Is there was there any for the Olympia weekend specifically? Was there any surprises in terms of placings or anything that you had differently to what you saw there? <laughs> Good question. I want to say something general about bodybuilding shows in real life. Pictures sometimes tell a different story than real life. Mostly they don't, but sometimes they do. And Steve, I've been to a lot of bodybuilding shows and you have too. In real life, it is so fucking clear who's going to win 99 times out of 100. In real life, there's almost never controversy. And you get this kind of consensus among people who know, even if they're not vocal, because it's not polite to be vocal. Everyone's kind of like, yeah. So almost everyone I talk to that I consider a pretty decent judge of basic bodybuilding judging, and I'm not even that good. Like, I don't know judging all that well. As soon as Derek Lunsford turned around and flexed his glutes, we were like, that's me new Mr. Olympia. And not just because he did it, but because Hottie was a little bit soft from behind. Lower back, glutes a little soft. And by a little soft, I mean, it was still striated to shit. But there's levels to this. Derek was completely crispy. Hottie was a little soft. You do not win the Mr. Olympia if you're a little soft, period. And so all the controversy about Derek versus Hottie, for example, comes from, I think, two places. One is just a lack of familiarity with how they judge bodybuilding shows, especially the, the kind of cultural context of judging bodybuilding shows. Shows are run from the back. People, for example, many people were talking about Hadi's conditioning from the front. And from the front, he's the best conditioned guy on the show, hands down. But and I don't want to put too fine a point on this, but you and I both know it's true. Nobody gives a shit how you look from the front. For the magazines, for the Instagram, for aesthetics, it's great. I have a baller fucking, if I say so myself, I have an amazing uh, most muscular. I think my most muscular is my best pose. But I'm not doing so well at shows. Because when I turn around, I got fucking love handles and my glutes aren't in. And then I take fifth. Yes, I'm not, that's not controversial. So a lot of people who disagree with the placings of Hadi versus Derek, for example, with, with total due respect, I don't mean this offensively at all. They're just not queued up on modern bodybuilding judging. And there's not a damn thing wrong with that. And you can even accurately say, dude, modern bodybuilding judging is fucking weird and wrong. And I, I would even agree with you. Like, yeah, why are we just judging the glutes? But at the end of the day, lower back glutes and hams is really kind of all the, all the judges look at, quote unquote, to figure out who's conditioned and who's not. It's the tiebreaker. If you have the crispiest upper body, crispiest legs from the front, look amazing from the side, you turn around from the rear and there's water, there's fat there. The guy who's leaner from the, from the back, he's going to be winning. That, that's just it in almost every case. So one big fraction of why there is so much controversy is, again, I don't mean this derisively, many people just don't know what bodybuilding judging is. It would be similar to asking me my opinion of, of uh, did the last Miss Universe deserve to win? Like, was it the girl from the Philippines that should have won? Or was it the girl from Venezuela? It's always them two bitches in Colombia every now and again. But for some reason, like all the, all the fucking best in the world are from like, those regions. Jerry's, they're all Jerry's actually, interesting enough. So um, 
I fucking don't know, Steve. I know a pretty girl when I see one and I know what I like, but I don't know the technical qualities in which they judge Miss, uh, Miss, Miss Universe competitors or whatever, because I know also that there is a huge template and there's a huge um, judging standard over the years that they stick to. And generally speaking, the people who really know the contest, they don't find most of the decisions controversial. They're like, yeah, I can tell you she's going to win. Um, I remember one time going to a bikini show very early in my coaching career. And James, Dr. James Hoffman and I were sitting in the audience and we picked who we thought was going to win. And we were just picking the girls that like would bang out of 10, you know what I mean? Which is really kind of all of them, but like, you know, we have our standards, like, you know, like, damn, that bitch got some fucking fatty hips. She's in my list. And then like all the girls we picked were just not, didn't place And all the champions were like the girls that did the weird booty pop, you know, like a uh, bikini posing in real life is real strange. If you look at it from the side, cause they're like ass is three feet behind their head and mm -hmm. you're like, what the fuck? Like on Instagram head on, it looks normal. But if you look at it from the side, even a little bit, you're like, she's doing like a good morning on stage. What is this? And the physiques are really strange, big fake titties. Everyone kind of looks the same, and super fake smiles and puffy lips. And we were like, this is bikini. But that was our fault, not bikini's fault. The judging standards are known. All the girls know and all the judges know. And then so the judges sorted those girls out in seconds. They're like, one, two, three, four, five, get off. And all the girls were like, yeah, I told you that. And so uh, there's a big difference between people on the internet who disagree because they have an idea in their mind about what bodybuilding judges should be versus people who really know what it is. So the very big difference, there's there doesn't have to be controversy. It's just two different judging standards. And the other thing, which I do have to say for intellectual completeness, is a lot of people get caught up in like being fans. And there's nationalism involved, there's religious stuff involved, there's cultural stuff involved. And look, to their credit, Iranian fans are like fucking psychotic. And I mean that in a good way. Like you, an athlete from Iran, the whole country cheers for you, which is fucking sweet. And my wife and I happen to be a huge fan of uh, Iran's wrestling program because they're fucking amazing. And they even have the cheer like, do, 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 Iran, do, 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 Iran. And Crystal and I really sing that song when we wrestle against each other every now and again. <laughs> we would love to have that in the background of all of our training. Um, the Iranian fans are known to come to all the wrestling meets and like there's a guy there with the megaphone doing the cheer and there's a hundred people at the fucking some fucking wrestling meet in fucking Venezuela. There's somehow they got a hundred Iranian fans there and they cheer for everyone, but they especially cheer for their guys. And when their guys lose in wrestling, it's not very controversial because it's like, what's wrestling? Like, this is clearly what happened. Your guy lost, right? But in bodybuilding, that nationalism, that pride, which is generally a good thing, can get to the point where the, the judges disagree. There's a lot of people that get quite upset about that. And almost all Iranian fans are just dope fucking people and they're fucking great. But there's a small subsection of every group's fans that are insane. And that's how Derek got his Instagram banned twice in the same day they reported him for like hate crimes or some shit and instagram was finally like the corporation meta was like you're good this is insane and they cleared his account but like people got butt hurt like crazy and almost everyone they got butt hurt like crazy they got butt hurt just because the hottie was their boy that's your guy and there's nothing fucking wrong with that you got to cheer for your guy but also most iranian fans and you see a bunch of their fucking comments being like i'm really sorry about some of the people like they're on Derek's DMs, like, or his comments, like, hey, like, huge respect, champ. Of course, we thought Hadi was amazing, but you're the fucking man. No disrespect. That's most people, most Iranians. Yeah. But there's some small fraction. And Steve, all it takes is, like, I don't know, 50 people, literally, to just like try to get you canceled. That's what it makes me think of. Hooligans. 
soccer hooligans exactly yeah. yeah it's like you know like if you're if you if you're italy and you never met a person from the united kingdom and the first person you meet is a soccer hooligan you're going to be like everyone in the united kingdom is pure <laughs> shit but it turns out that's just absolutely not the case so i think a lot of the controversy is mostly just because of those dynamics people who just don't know bodybuilding all that well in judging specific and people who are just like have a lot of feelings because their 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 guy didn't get the nod which is both totally understandable and totally uh, i don't want to say uninteresting but what I'm trying to say is on the technical levels of who should have won for the people in the know, I, I basically haven't heard any controversy. That's not the same. That's not always the case. So in 2001, this is really historic. 2001, Jay Cutler versus Ronnie Coleman. A lot of real smart people think Jay should have won. It could have gone either way, but Ronnie was off and Jay looked fucking unbelievable. People still talk about that. There was real controversy there among experts. But if you talk to most of the experts in bodybuilding, high-level coaches, et cetera, this is the, and funny enough, um, Hani Rambod coaches both Derek and Hadi. So you didn't hear shit from him about how it was a travesty because he's like, oh, look, like, you know, my guys took top two. Someone's yeah. got to take second place. Uh, and he also coached Sebum, which is amazing. Like, uh, as far as like having the guys that win the most, Hani Rambod's by far the best coach uh, today. Um, historically it's probably tied with like chad nichols who got ronnie coleman and uh, um uh big rami to win all their titles um but like that's a first of all that's a hell of an accomplishment can you imagine being like you just come up on stage to accept awards for all your athletes like every class <laughs> your guys win it's nuts but you know it, it, even it, at that level experts like him I don't think I talked to anyone. I've talked to quite a few people that really found the results of this Olympia very controversial. Um, I would say the most controversial thing that I saw with my own two eyes is was in women's bodybuilding. The women's bodybuilding was back at the Olympia for the first time in a while. And I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was awesome. The ladies look fucking great, but they were clearly going for a softer, more natural look. Now, wow. look, more natural doesn't mean natural. The bitches are yeah. <laughs> some serious ladies. But there was a girl, I forget her name, Michaela something or other. And if you type in Michaela, females bodybuilding, you Google, especially at the Olympia, she got like fifth or sixth or some shit like that. And we actually DM'd her from RP and we're like, we would love mm -hmm. to have a video collab with you. Because Steve, I kid you not, this is the leanest person I've ever seen in my own two eyes. As soon as she turned around and flexed her glutes on stage, Crystal and I both like did this. We just like, we're taking it back. It was nonsense nonsense her striations had striations you know like when someone has striated glutes and you're like oh they're really lean this was like five times deeper than that it was shocking she didn't win she had great aesthetics amazing posing nope not even top not not even top three top four the girl that won had a great flow great physique great symmetry relatively soft glutes because that's the judging criteria because they tried the shit with uh, getting the girls as lean and jacked as possible. That's how you got Iris Kyle winning 10 Olympias. And look, Iris Kyle's a goddess, she's a queen and the best bodybuilder in history, hands down. Anyone wants to debate me about that can find someone else who won 10 Olympia titles. Um, but that look, and everyone tried to do their best version of it at the time, in a sense was so niche, it was for so few people so few people thought that was the best look that women's bodybuilding got so unpopular that it was dumped from the Olympia. So now you could see a definitely a clear change in judging standards in real life. And it, it's super interesting, Steve, but also like if I was Michaela, what the fuck are you going to do? 
Yeah. You came in the most jacked and the most shredded. She wasn't the biggest because she's a tiny little person, but by far the most shredded and took like five, fucking fifth or sixth. Well, Steve, what do you do next year? You're like, do you bring her in softer? Like, that's fucking weird. Does that mean her diet ends four weeks out? And the coach is like, well, I'll just have pizza for a while. Like, it's strange. But nonetheless, like, that was clear. So if any real controversy could come from the Olympia, I would say a female bodybuilding is where it should come from. Because someone could be like, why aren't we rewarding the people that actually look the most jacked and lean? That's a very good question. Do you not see the progress you would like? Are you sick of writing your own programs? Or perhaps you need some accountability in order to stick with the plan? Then it's time to start working with us. We at Revive Stronger offer a truly personalized coaching service. You'll get more than just an email with some macros or random cookie cutter program. With Revive Stronger, you will be the center of our attention. You will receive your own fully individualized training protocol alongside a customized nutritional strategy. We created the coaching around your needs, wants, personal preferences, and your own unique lifestyle. Every single week, we delve into your program in order to make appropriate adjustments so that we get the most out of your time and the best possible outcome. We help both female and male athletes to seriously change their body composition by adding more muscle mass and decreasing fat tissue. No matter if you're a competitive bodybuilder or just want to look better, if you need help with your progress and taking your physique to the next level, our coaching is for you. It's time to make a change, sign up today and let's revive stronger. I think, did that happen? I don't follow uh, the Olympia very closely at all, actually, but yeah, the, particularly the women's side less so. But Sarah Velagas, I don't know if I'm saying her name right, she won women's physique, didn't win it last year. I feel like that was something with that. Uh, obviously, women's physique is like it's not meant to be as hard as bodybuilding yeah. to some extent. And I think she was too lean for that class. Anyway, so I, I just, just reflecting on that. But it's very interesting that they... Yeah, I didn't even realize Miss uh, Olympia hadn't been even there because it just became so unpopular. But it's yeah, so funny man. that they're like not catering it towards like pure bodybuilding. It's now catering it towards what do people want this to be like? We're going to make that the judging criteria versus uh, what bodybuilding is kind of tends to be the biggest leanest <laughs> kind of person. Biggest going. leanest. And, and it's really like the classes for which open bodybuilding, men's open bodybuilding is the easiest personal standard you can hold yourself to because um, easiest. Let me contextualize that it's the simplest i know exactly how my physique looks and how i'm progressing based on just two criteria how much do i weigh and what do my glutes look like in the mirror that's it i need only those two things and if my glutes are crispy as fuck and i weigh as much as possible at that weight i'm gonna do the best i'm gonna do the best i have before uh for other categories especially something like female bodybuilding oh my god man but that's not even the, the half of it what about bikini Steve, what the fuck are they looking for in bikini? I don't fucking know. The girls know, but then there's individual judges I've heard prefer a certain look. It's just more subjective because yeah. yes, bigger and leaner is subjective. Let's be honest. It's not that subjective. You know who's leaner and you clearly know who's bigger. And then that's it. Like when Big Rami won a few years back, he stepped on stage with completely diced glutes at 290. It was over. It was over the moment it started. Everyone knew that. So, but with bikini, it's kind of like, oh, she has a great look, but you still see all the other competitors and you're like, she has a slightly different look, but it's also great. What are they going to pick? Sometimes in bodybuilding, it gets that close. You know, I think if Nick Walker would not have gotten hurt, um, he was on track, was already lean enough to push everyone on that stage. That would have been interesting to see a comparison between him and Derek. That could have been really interesting because then nobody's clearly the person who has all the cards on their table. 
But at least in this Olympia, everyone kind of slotted in pretty much where you would think. And if you're a bikini girl, if you're a figure, women's physique, essentially all the female classes, it's more complicated. It's tougher. And I honestly feel for the girls because if you're a dude and you're in one of these classes, like you know exactly what they're looking for and you know when you've hit it and when you haven't, more or less. When you're female, eh, you know, you look sharp, but maybe you're too sharp. And I, I've seen judges' feedback. And sometimes, like, I'm sure you've gotten this before, some judges' feedback is nonsense. Oh, yeah. And, like, one judge will be like, you could be a little sharper. One judge is like, you could be a little softer. I've literally seen that happen. <laughs> and it's like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with that? Uh, Jared Feather got um, a feedback from a judge once. I don't think it was in the IFBB. Um, it was... You, you could have a smaller waist. And it was like, what? Do you see Jared's physique? There are many things you could be critical about with Jared. Conditioning, arm size. Jared is one of the smallest waists of every class he's in. It's absurd. His waist is absurd. You see his Instagram pics and you're like, that's not a real human being. That's Photoshopped. And like someone had the audacity to be like, yeah, it'd work on a smaller waist. It's like, okay, clearly, why are you judging shows? You know, that definitely yes. happens too just not useful feedback either like hey i don't have a small waist what am i waist, supposed to do about like, that telling me to have a smaller waist <laughs> at least try and think hey maybe build up these areas so that your yes. waist appears smaller yes judges can't be that out of the loop that they can't understand that basis but man if Sometimes they are that's they are. yeah that's that's not cool but yeah it's it's certainly uh, have it having judged now like i can't even like it's really easy as a bodybuilder just my training, like you said, like I just need to get bigger everywhere, train everything. Cool. But as a, like, it can be really hard as a female, like, hey, I can only, I don't want too big of these muscles. Yes. So I have to really specialize big time. Steve, I don't do like specializing. Uh, yes. Is it, So tell me about that. Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, for sure. How, is it ever confusing or difficult for you or any more than the, for the males or is the is the standard they give you as a judge because you guys get a pamphlet on like what the judging ps you know what you're doing but here's the judging criteria as a reminder yeah, yeah. is it ever like ambiguous is it ever mysterious or are you pretty much like nah it's kind of straightforward once you learn the system i think it's, it's definitely like we have training and i know the distinction between the three kind of categories that we judge uh oh, actually four sorry uh, but it's and like essentially it's like bigger and leaner and then they hit different poses so it's like that's it just graduates up and so it's quite simple in that regard but there are more subjectivities in terms of just like how are they showing that whereas like symmetry is and and some of them do just have symmetry like bodybuilders but like in bikini it's not like they have symmetry they're going for it's mm -hmm. like in the WMBF we're kind of looking for like longer legs like a more elongated physique that sort of look. So it's not quite the same as oh, just wow. like, hey, with men's bodybuilding, you look at Keon, you look at Derek, and you just hit see them hit a front relax, you're like, that's fucking symmetry. That's they've it. just got it. Like they've got that yep. flow factor. You, your eyes are just drawn to them. But it's not quite the same. At least uh, maybe if I was a female like and I was competing in bikini, I would just see like, hey, her. It takes a little bit more deciphering for me at least when judging those. But yeah, the... It's a, I feel like at least at the WMBF where I'm judging, we have quite a clear criteria. That's so really it is cool. a bit clearer. But um, I mean, even we go to the point of, hey, if you're in bikini, but you're clearly too lean and too muscular, we're going to move you. We're going to suggest you move into the next category up or uh -huh. maybe even into um, the ones that suit your physique better. Whereas, like, I don't think they probably, I mean, you're not doing that at the Olympia. Like, <laughs> sure. But, the other thing is WMBF's natural federation, right? correct 
it's much easier to judge females when everyone's natural. Because then you're really even, not for bikini, but for the other classes, like female bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding, we got whoever's the biggest and leanest. That's it. Yeah. Because exactly. you, you don't have to worry about like, you can't have your face looking like that. God damn it. And in pro, uh, not pro, IFBB women's bodybuilding, they legitimately tell them, we judge the face. In I remember when the wow, women's physique really? division, oh yeah, women's physique in pro ranks, they had to make a statement like, we absolutely judge your whole look. And we judge how, how healthy you look all the way through, including wow. your face. Presentation matters. Because if you, you look like, you know, I don't want to be too offensive, but we all know the stereotype. If you look like a fucking machine all over, they still want you to look girly in the face. And if you can't pull that off, you got to back up off the gear or some shit like that. Because they don't want, they didn't, when f- women's physique was born, they didn't want it to careen out of control and go the route of female bodybuilding. Um, because that clearly happened with female bodybuilding. And it really kind of left the whole fucking everything behind. Which again, like, I don't want that to sound like a personal judgment on my part. Everyone has a different look they prefer. Not everyone has to look like your cup of tea. I mean, it's funny. You'll get someone saying like a figure girl, oh, like, oh, that's a great natural look, feminine. But they'll say a female bodybuilder is a fucking like dinosaur. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, that's just because you're in the fitness industry. If you were a regular person, you saw that figure girl in the store, you'd be like, what a freak. And it's like, oh, that's right. Even women with one bit of trap, people consider monsters and men. So it's all relative anyway. But at some point, the judges have to make a cutoff of what, what it is they prefer. Sometimes it doesn't favor some people and it, it can be quite harsh and, and a little bit subjective. And it's got to be tough, you know, like the Michaela girl, like if I was her, I'd be backstage and, you know, your friends show up and your coach, you're like, what do you think? Sixth place or whatever she got. Steve, what do you think about that at that point? I, I, if I was her, and if she ever hears this, I'd like for her to know this, but hopefully tell her in person, like, I thought her physique presented on the Olympic stage was one of the most magical things I've ever seen in my life on a, on a bodybuilding stage. It was, it was just pure art. It was exotic. It was like seeing a Lamborghini drive by at like 100 miles an hour. You just be like, oh, like when you're eight and it's the first supercar you've ever seen. That's what that was. But, you know, it's dope to know that some people feel like that about you in your prep. Who's another girl that has that look? Uh, JP, uh, Jordan P is his wife, uh, girlfriend, wife, wife, Callie or whatever her name is. I mean, she has been lean to the point where I'm like, oh, my God, this is an accomplishment of accomplishments. This is like the thing. This is a goddess. This is no longer a human being. But like, you know. She's not winning a ton at bodybuilding shows either. What is she supposed to think? So do these girls go backstage and go, well, I'm objectively superior on muscularity and definition, but that's not what they're looking for. So no big deal. Or are they upset? I mean, you can't really be the happiest you could be when the other person's getting congratulated and all the people are coming up to her. You know, it's kind of just kind of strange where like in, in more direct sports, MMA, you knock a guy out, you knock a girl out. You win. It doesn't matter. You did it. It's just very, very straightforward who the champion is. Tennis. You just score more points. Gymnastics. Uh, you know, there's some subjectivity. But also, look, if you land well and all the angles are good, you win. Female bodybuilding, bro. Much more like a beauty pageant. It's just the look they're looking for. Because imagine you have to judge the Miss Universe contest. Steve. Which, how the fuck are you going to judge it? But God, I'm going to pick the prettiest girl. You see the 100 girls. You're like, this is 100 of the prettiest girls I've ever seen in my life. 
How the fuck am I supposed to tell them apart? What the hell am I supposed to do? And at the end of the day, like, yeah, there's just some look they're looking for that is very nuanced. And uh, anyone who isn't winning the Miss Universe, look, ladies, if you're upset, uh, you didn't win a bodybuilding show or whatever. Dr. Mike wants to say, girl, you still look good to me. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're, my, you're a champion in my heart. And I'm a married man, so don't get into those DMs. But, uh, you know, get into, I was going to say Steve Hall's DMs, but uh, you have a significant <laughs> other. Find, find you a man that appreciates you, girl, because there's a lot of us <laughs> out there, you know what I'm saying, that uh, think quite fondly of all of you. So Yeah, yeah I, I think the differentiation, the reason it's a little bit easier on the in the natural side is because of, like, the aesthetics like it, yes. you, you're not going to grow so much muscle like it doesn't change your facial aesthetic like Correct. that's not changing yep. so even if you're a, like i said hey we as bodybuilders just get as big and as lean as possible like you can eventually work like bikini could be entry level for you and then you move mm -hmm. into what we have is like hey you could go into figure which is just yep. a bigger bikini everywhere but still yep. a little bit softer then you go into fit body which is our next next category which is just like hey you're similar to figure, but now you're a bit leaner, but not quite as lean as bodybuilding and yes. it's big. And then you go into bodybuilding, like, okay. it's like stepwise that way. Interesting. And bikini is judged, a it's meant to be judged like on like how everything looks. Yes. So it suits like a younger person generally, like you have some people who maybe they could do master's bikini yes. if you have that category. But if you don't, then you're already at a disadvantage because of yes. just like, hey, skin's a bit looser. Yes. This, those are the, the things yep. I don't like about those categories, but I know I recognize sure. that like that's what bikini is. It's like men's yep. physique. You're not getting 60 year old guys beating like 20, 30 year olds with the right. same. Because the, wa the waists look different at that point and stuff. Yeah. And it's a personal thing for me because I, when I was younger, I was trying to enter a lot of like children's beauty pageants, but I was 24 years old at the time. And they said I had a good overall look, but I had just aged out of the category. They also <laughs> called the police on me and said I could never come back. That I thought was just cruel. I could see you doing, what's that like? There's like a show called like Child Genius or something where you do like spelling and you have to spell words like backwards and like ridiculous words. I could so see you doing something Yo, like thanks, that. Thanks, Steve. That shit impresses <laughs> the fuck out of me. I can barely spell at all. Yeah. I'm like, hey, do I get an autocorrect? They're like, no, idiot, get off the stage. Like, all right. Uh, what did you, did you think anything to classic? Like I have just the thought of like, is anyone ever going to beat Chris Bumstead? He is like, He's almost created classic in some way for me. It's like his look is just classic to me. It's just like, I don't know how Correct. you beat him unless you're him. Chris, Chris Bumstead looks like the trophy they give you. And that's tough. That's tough to contend with. Um, will anyone ever beat Chris Bumstead? It's not clear how long Chris Bumstead's interested in hanging around. It's not clear how his physique will change over the ages. Though I suspect he's going to be dominant if he'd like for at least a while. I will say is this. Never, ever, ever discount someone coming in and taking it all, ever. We all thought that various champions historically were supreme, and then people in more recent history are just better. Um, Big Rami, one of these past years that he won the Olympia, he was at like 290, 295 on stage. With the aesthetics that you normally see with guys that weigh 230, that look of his, in my opinion, beats every single champion. It beats Ronnie. It beats um, uh, Phil Heath. It beats everyone. Toe-to-toe -to -toe destroys. And if we could bring that look back and teleport it into today, he would have beaten Hottie. He would beat Derek. He'd beat everybody. You can't fuck with 290 with beautiful lines and strided glutes. How do you fuck with that? For every 
flawless part of Chris Momstead's physique. There's some guy in Lagos, Nigeria right now picking up his first weight. And in three years, he's going to be having an Instagram following of 500,000 people because he's going to look like God reborn. And then he's going to get on the stage and he's going to dust everyone and he's going to have an eight-year reign until some guy from Cameroon is going to show up and beat him. So two things to say about that. Number one, never discount the probability that there's some young kid right now with perfect genetics. I've seen people, I legitimately had an opportunity to train and train with a guy who ended up just going to dental school and lifts for fun, but never took it more seriously than that, who I would describe as Phil Heath-like genetics. Like all of his muscles, he was white, by the way, just all of his muscles were bubbled the fuck out of their minds. He grew by looking at weights and it was the most, it was just wild to see him as a real human being, totally lifetime drug free, 190 pounds with abs at like five, seven, just existed like that. Ate normal people food, didn't want to get too big because his clothes wouldn't fit anymore. You're just like, what the fuck? There's dozens of people like that. A lot of them who've never picked up a weight. I had an opportunity to go on vacation when I was like 20, 20 years old, 21 years old. And I was on vacation with a guy who had, um, he weighed about 155. He was probably five foot five. He was 42 years old and he had a strided lower back and strided glutes at the beach. And I was like, oh, that's a competitive professional bodybuilder. Nope. Gymnastics coach. Didn't eat anything special. Didn't lift weights. Just helped his girls do the gymnastics move and demonstrate them. And he was just that Romanian that that's what he looked like. And I was like, Steve, Steve, you could get this guy into a weight room. And in two years, he's all-time natural world champ, year after year after year, untouchable. That's just some guy, man. So Chris Bumstead has phenomenal genetics, and he's a fucking god. But when people say, will he ever lose again or whatever, you can't discount the rest of the world. And to quote Wesley Snipes from Passenger 57, great movie, by the way, uh, always bet on black. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything racist. Well, it depends on depends on who's listening. Um, black people are better at this than the rest of us. They just are. Fuck it. I don't give a fuck. Cancel me. Fuck you. Cancel me for that shit. Like they used to have all white basketball teams back in the 1930s in the United States. What a fucking joke. That's not basketball. Um, so whenever this is going to sound racist as fuck and I'm, I'm going to lean into it. Fuck it. Whenever you got white champions in bodybuilding. I'm always just like, all right, when the black guys come in to take over, because it's just a matter of time. Got Samson, like, you know what I'm saying? Like Samson's on his way up, bro. But Samson's just one fucking Nigerian guy, bro. They got a country of fucking 300 million of motherfuckers. <laughs> and generally, they're at the point where their economic level is, most of them are just get, starting to get to the point where the food is regularly on the table. You give them another 10 years of economic progress, and they start having hobbies. And how many of them are going to go to the gym and go like, oh, shit, I'm Nigerian. Holy fuck. And it's just going to work. It's just going to happen. And then and then that's it. Like, you know, um, now, of course, genetic variation is a thing uh, for every black guy that thought he was ever good at bodybuilding. There's Jay Cutler to shut you the fuck up. Uh, and, he, you know, won four Olympias and all the black guys in the world tried to beat him. They couldn't. But on average, statistically, I wouldn't say like, OK, it's just destiny that all champions of every sport or whatever is, is at least bodybuilding going to be black. No, of course not. And there's Asians that can knock everybody off, right? So it's all averages. But statistically, I just would never look at someone and be like, no matter black, white, whatever color they are, I wouldn't ever say they're unbeatable because genetic variation is a motherfucker. And we can't lie and say everyone who's ever been genetically gifted for bodybuilding has even tried the sport. Most people haven't even tried the sport. Like there's people out there playing quote unquote real sports like soccer. You know, like now I'll tell you this, the world's best soccer players today 
much more likely that no one's ever going to knock them off because everyone tries to play soccer and everyone yeah. sucks at it. And a couple of guys get great and then they're great. Like Messier or whatever, like uh, Ronaldo, Ronaldo or whatever. They, yeah, they're the best. And and maybe for a generation. But in bodybuilding, we're such a small sport and the world is opening up um, so much now. Like I remember there was like, um, I saw a bodybuilding competition from Pakistan. And some of them guys, man, they got waist like this. They got bubble muscles. I'm like, oh, my God, bro, just give these guys 10 years. They'll be fucking knocking tons of people off. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, Zach Khan, a British bodybuilder, he's Pakistani genetically. Zach Khan came on the scene. It was like, oh, he's just like 290. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, there's guys from all over the world that can knock you off. And, uh, you know, because such a small fraction of Africans literally in Africa participate in bodybuilding, knowing that and knowing what happens to a lot of Africans if you give them weights and nutrition program and the free time to actually do this instead of just like go to work for eight hours a day and then collapse of exhaustion because that that's the poverty level there um I just would never I would never you would never hear it uh, from me being like let's say Chris Bumstead undefeated for the next five years like I don't know man two years later imagine well I got I got one for you imagine this um what the fuck's his name Terrence Ruffin Ruff yep. Diesel imagine Terrence at 5'11 Steve, who's beating him in anything? He could be like win every single classic Olympia and then decide to do more gear and win every single open Olympia. In my opinion, Terrence Ruffin has what is essentially a flawless physique. Um, what about, um, what's his name, Keon? Anytime you think that black people aren't superior at bodybuilding, you explain fucking Keon to me. Now, the, the retort to that is Derek Lunsford essentially has the same genetics, right? Same shape, et cetera. But Keon, there's something magical about Keon's physique. And now that he's Mr. Olympia, like imagine, is Keon's 5'5", bro? Do you think there's a one Keon in Africa that's 5'10"? Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say there might be 10 of them. Imagine when they hit the fucking stage. You're going to be like, oh, oh, shit. There's levels to this. And I would never discount that. So that's my very long-winded way of saying, like, you know what I'm saying? Black people exist. So anytime you got a white champion thinking he's going to be undefeated forever, I just wouldn't be. I would take that bet. We'll yeah, get I some think, fiery comments about that for sure. But it's just <laughs> yeah. fucking true, you know? I think uh, that kind of evolves my thought behind the people that are, like, biting at him, like Raymond and uh, yours. I'm saying their name's probably wrong. Uh, but that's roughly right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah whatever. Urs, yeah, I don't know how the Germans say it. So. I, uh, I just don't see them surpassing Chris at his best if he's maintaining this just Correct. because of that look. But it's, it's to your point, someone else coming in, a Terrence Ruffin at 5'11", for sure. Like, I, I think that's, that's what hurts Terrence, isn't it? It's the height. That, that's that's kind of, it. it, just, it that's doesn't, it. It's hard to compare him in and amongst the people who it's are so much taller. People will say like, oh man, Terrence got robbed, blah, blah, blah. They say it every year because they see Instagram pictures of him by, by himself and he's the perfect man. And he is. But like, bro, he's 5'5". Like you see him next to Chris and you're like, He's great, but especially on stage, and I mean this with all fucking due respect, because I ain't shit compared to Terrence, he just looks small. But he weighs 176 fucking pounds, Steve. How the fuck is he supposed to look big? Now, I met him in real life at Close least Close to once. my stage weight, actually. Right, exactly. He's just he's, growing you know, wacky. I'm much wacky. taller. <laughs> right. Um, so I met him once in real life, and he was like off cycle or whatever, and I looked at his muscles, and I'm like, I can look over his hairline like I'm tall compared to him. 
And I looked at his muscles and I talked to him about, he weighed like 180 at the time and I weighed like 240. And I was like, this man looks bigger than me and he weighs 180. How the fuck is this possible? But I'm not sebum. And nobody looks bigger than Sebum because he's fucking bigger than everybody else. And he has that crazy shoulder structure, which, you know, what's his name? Uh, Dino, Dino, whatever. Um, the second place guy. If you look at that guy, and I, I'm a huge fan. I follow his Instagram posts. By himself in a hotel room, you're like, this is not beatable. She stands next to Sebum and you're like, mm, very well. There's clearly one champion. So uh, it's there's, you know, but then again, some guy could come through and... Voila, I do happen to think that um, Brandon Hendrickson, do you know who that is? He's like second, he's won the Olympia before in physique, uh, men's physique. Uh, yes, I do. This yes. past year. I think that if he just decided to compete in classic physique, he could fucking smash because he's got like the ultimate black eye bubble muscles. And yeah, he's, yeah, that's good. like he's already had a, like he turns around and hits like, man, it's so funny. The men's physique guys want to hit the bodybuilding poses and sometimes yeah. in their transitions they will. And I just like, let him hit it. He did like the Christmas tree shit. And I was like, fuck, his Christmas tree goes up to his fucking neck. And I'm like, I want to see that guy in a fucking classic stage. God damn it. Because anytime you get too cocky about classic, you always see the men's physique guys and they're like wider shoulder structure, smaller waists. And all of them have decently sized legs too. And they're like even more aesthetic and you're like what would happen if that guy just transferred divisions that you could potentially see bum could get knocked off i don't know by who and it all sounds like i'm shitting on sebum again when you said this earlier sebum is a generational physique you put sebum next to arnold and you have ai retouch their pictures such that it looks like the same era i don't know who looks like the guy who started bodybuilding it might be Sebum. Sebum might be able to win every single Olympia up through Lee Haney. <laughs> That's how universally unbelievable his look is. Also, to his immense credit, his posing is flawless. There's not a single pose I've ever seen that he hits where I'm like, I could have hit that better. And I suck at posing. Ronnie Coleman, I mean, the king, no critiques. But Ronnie's posing was like, mm -hmm. everyone knew. It was like, Ronnie you know, and his mobility issues or whatever, slash he was just Ronnie. Sebum, his posing is like the culmination of professional. Like me, I'm jacked. I can get lean. My posing fucking sucks. And also like it's competent generally, but it's not beautiful. There's not like a crispness there. Sebum, man, it's something else. And some of the guys like uh, Dino, Dino, He's great. His posing is good, but there's a difference between good posing and Sebum posing. And when Sebum hits that fucking lat spread, you're like, trophy, next. And he gets fucking shredded. He gets striated glutes, and yeah. that's it. Like, And genetically, his waist is small, but there's got these guys on the stage that have smaller waists. He does the Arnold-style posing, true posing, where the way he hits his poses, you're like, looks like he has the smallest waist to me. And, you know, Arnold said bodybuilding is an illusion or whatever. Some extent, that's true. Sebum is a pro, is the professional athlete. He does exactly what he's supposed to better than you're supposed to do it. Like, we thought we knew what basketball was like until Jordan played the game. And we're like, oh, just kidding. There's a new standard. Sebum's classic posing, I would say, is the new standard. It's like, everyone, look, that's how you're supposed to do it. And most people are like, I can't do it like that. And it's like, oh, some of us can't measure up. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think Raymond has like some freaky shots and like some muscle groups freaky. that are just like his forearms are ridiculous. His arms, his abs. He that. has like 18 abs. Motherfucker, oh. are you cheating putting fake abs in your shit? All of that. But Chris just, ha he flows. 
just uh, every pose there's Statue. nothing weak about it um but yeah anyway i know you're a little bit tight for time so i don't want to go too far no, no into all of this, I, can, but... you know, I can do it and i get another 20 minutes i think okay um yeah, yeah. if, if yeah, that's okay know. with you i don't want to keep you oh no for sure yeah no i'm i'm good for time so yeah where was i going to go with this um but yeah i think like you said some it feels like someone outside is going to come in and like take this yeah. throne from I, from chris I, I, I think to 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 steel man the perspective of no one's ever unseating chris the best way i would couch that statement to make it the most correct is no one currently in the top 10 is likely to do it mm. uh but people forget that there's new people coming in and new people can rise real quick who saw phil heath coming phil heath won his first show then he turned pro at his first pro qualifier and i believe he took he skipped an olympia year and then he took second second place so all the guys that took fifth and fourth and cetera saw themselves rightfully as like next year i'll take second and first maybe they didn't because some new guy came in and fucking upset the whole apple cart that happens and it happens quite regularly so i just people get this whole thing of like you know you earn your keep you pay your dues and you work up the ranks like sure but also nobody gives a shit. the judges judge you based on how you look and a lot of accusations about politics and favoritism have merit but most of them don't. At the end of the day, if you show up and you're the best looking guy, you get the nod. Here's an example. There's that Ukrainian kid who lives in Texas, um, Anton something or other. He's like 19 years old and he's really popular on social media and he's like competing in physique very successfully. And he's probably going to be at the Olympia in the next few years. He looks fucking super freaky. He's just some kid from fucking Texas. Who the fuck is that guy? He was like a nobody like two years ago. And now he's the fucking man. How many other guys like that are there? How many other guys picking up their first weight set are there right now that in four or five years are going to be fucking on the Olympia stage? And the answer is a fucking ton, man. I just, I just wouldn't discount the people who aren't competing. Yeah, no, I think that's really well said. It's actually interesting to note just because this has been happening. There's some guy, I don't know his last name, but he's Benjamin. I say some guy, like incredible natural bodybuilder. He's just been winning everything. He's 21 years old. It's just like, what the hell? (laughs) He's not going to be getting any worse in the next four years. (laughs) I'll tell you that. So I haven't seen him compete before. I haven't heard of him before. And it's just this season, he's won everything he's gone into. Uh, So it's just, yeah, you get these people that just kind of take you left field. Mike, I have an interesting question for you. Uh, I think this might be up your street because it's maybe a bit philosophical. And it's something I'd been thinking about recently just after, I don't know, just thinking about it. And it's kind of this uh, mentality difference between enhanced bodybuilders versus natural not always like we're not in camps this isn't always how people are but this this kind of difference in mindset and it came because i was reflecting on as a natural bodybuilder you can kind of be peaking maybe like even 40 like like into your 40s you could be maintaining that peak look almost whereas as an enhanced competitor it's unlikely you're you kind of have a shorter time frame of where your peak is and then maybe you're kind of going a bit more like downhill sooner i don't know if that's fair to say but that's kind of my um kind of outlook and i wonder if because it has that slightly more like short-term mindset involved with going enhanced whether or not the people that do that have a little bit more of a like every little thing matters that little bit more so that go hard or go home they don't want any set wasted anything wasted whereas as a natural you realize how slow it is and it's a longer journey so you kind of have that different framing of the two and that's why maybe there's i don't know some divisions in like characterization of people's mindsets between that i don't know if that's something if that makes sense and if it is a fair kind of discussion and uh, you have any thoughts on it it's a great question steve 
I wonder what the difference between, so I wonder a couple of things. First, is it really true that older bodybuilders have more success as naturals than they do as enhanced? I'm not sure. I know of a few examples in which that's definitely the case. Jeff Alberts. Um, I don't know of a ton. Another thing is natural bodybuilding is significantly less competitive than enhanced, not in absolute terms, but definitely true, but in the number of competitors that are competing. And a lot of times you won't see as clear bias towards optimal age when the competitors are few in number. You'll see more of a bias towards the people doing it the longest, just get the best at it. But as you get more and more people into a sport, the average age of success tends to float into whatever is physiologically optimal. And so, it, you know, with how many people, let's say marathon running, there is not a shortage of people trying to run marathons. Millions of people do it competitively. And thus, the average age of marathon running wins is really pretty quite tight and it's quite consistent. And so there's not really a difference between uh, various factors. Whereas in natural bodybuilding, I wonder if it became 10 times more popular if the older guys would still be winning or peaking as much versus if maybe you had more young guys that really gave a shit uh, times 10, those guys, maybe the average age of winning would be 28 instead of 38 or something like that. Here's another factor. I think this is going to be not politically correct. I do think it has at least some validity. I think not all, but a large fraction of your most talented bodybuilders when they're drug-free end up taking drugs later and going into the drug ranks because most people just don't stay in drug-free bodybuilding because it's less popular, objectively less impressive, and uh, makes you less money and makes gives you less repute in social media and, and, and in general. And also, guys especially have a tendency to compete. Well, I'm not going to make it gendered. All high-level competitors have this thing that I've noticed Um this thing really separates competitors with a capital C from people doing shows, people who like to win, people who like to have success. Competitors want to go up against the best. And if you're a natural bodybuilder, you simply don't get to go up against the best because all the best guys already start taking drugs. Um, Jared Feather, oh, turn natural pro, won a natural pro show, could absolutely have continued to win natural pro shows. Why isn't he competing? Because he's competing in the fucking drug areas. One of the guys that Jared lost a natural competition to is now also on drugs. That guy was phenomenal. Good enough to beat Jared Feather, natural, at least in one show. Where's he? He's, he's gone. He's to the drug side. And so I think part of the reason that you get older folks being better at drug-free bodybuilding has nothing to do with the drugs themselves or the, how they age you faster or whatever, which also could be a factor. I think a large factor is the guys who have the best genetics, who are younger, who could be the champions, they just leave and go to the not drug-free. Um, and thus the only guys left over are the guys who kept cranking and they have the most muscle, they're older, they have that quote unquote, I hate the term muscle maturity, you just old guy lean. And they're the ones winning uh, more likely at that uh, that situation. So I do that's something I have to say to preface that whole thing. Now, to your point of um, everything counts, is absolutely a story we could tell ourselves in which that's true. Like, I only have five years. I can't keep running trend forever. I better fucking make everything count. On the one hand. On the other hand, you take enough gear, all the stuff that you think matters for natural stuff, meal timing, blah, 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 41 grams of protein versus 40. This is to be like seemingly irrelevant because all you need to do is put five more milligrams of trend into each needle and then voila, problem solved. 
So we can also tell the opposite story and it sounds just as convincing. So in, in me, one of my kind of quick intellectual shortcuts uh, that I use is if I can tell myself just as a convincing of a story on one hand, as on the other hand, I can no longer have a very strong opinion, right? Like if, if you see a video of a serial killer just stabbing an old lady to death and there's one story in which he's a fucking psycho and Jesus Christ this is the worst thing I've ever seen. There's another story of like, well, bitch had it coming. Like, I don't know, man, really? An old lady had it? What does she do? And you research it and it's like, nope, actually there's only one side. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's just wrong. And there's really not two sides of the story. But if you can tell yourself a story of, you know, guys who are on steroids because of that shorter time horizon that they might perceive, uh, they can't be as good for as long. They want to take everything really seriously and push it as hard as possible. We can also tell an equally convincing story in my mind, maybe not in yours, Steve, maybe you could retort to this of, well, the drug guys don't have to worry about all the nitty gritty because it's natural. If you want to gain your one pound of muscle per year, you better do everything right. Whereas a drug guy, you could do a lot of stuff wrong and just go to 10 units of growth hormone where you used to take six and all of a sudden, voila, you got five more pounds of muscle or 10 more pounds of muscle. So does, what do you think about that, Steve? Is it, what do you think about the two stories that sound equally likely? Does that give you pause? No, that, I think that's that's actually really, really fair because I think there is that type of natural who's like, again, they're taking every supplement under the sun just in case it possibly <laughs> does natural. something. natural, right. Like, exactly. <laughs> Here's the pills I take every day. Oh, very weird, so, okay. I think that's, and then again, you definitely have that enhanced individual who's just like, they just chill about it. They're just the, the little things they're like, Hey, I can just like, they know their drugs are doing a lot for them. They can rely on those maybe a bit more. And you have that again, the natural who's like, Oh, I can't rely on this. So I must nail all these variables. So actually I yes. think that's a really fair statement. And I don't think it is as sided as I thought. And then maybe it's just the different individuals in each, in each sure. side. And maybe you could be completely right. And I could be completely wrong. It's just one of these things where I'm really quite 50, 50 about it. I just wanted to bring another perspective. Um, to see like, well, maybe it is that way, but maybe it's the other way. Uh, another quick few things. I think this is very important to say, and I've definitely rediscovered this, maybe discovered it for the first time. Uh, I was intellectually aware of it, but I didn't think it mattered all that much. Um, worrying about the nitty gritty is good because the nitty gritty can add up. Little tiny details, a few percent here, a few percent there, makes you better, totally. But the act of worrying and the act of being very organized and very concerned, it also literally secretes cortisol. And cortisol is catabolic. It burns muscle tissue and it puts you in a position where you're now less cortisol, you build back more fat tissue. It, and it increases your fatigue radically. In this fatigue, you don't get back. It disturbs your sleep. It fucks up your training. Being neurotic is incompatible with being the best athlete that you could be, straight up. And I think a lot of people who are neurotic, you know, it's all a spectrum more neurotic, more detail oriented, more like, okay, is this 41 grams of protein or 40? I better get 41 because otherwise it's divide by three and I got to get my amino acids. How much leucine is in this? Those people are correct for trying to be detail oriented, but because their desire to be detail oriented and the drive for that comes with a concomitant nervousness and cortisol secretion and a huge consumption of their bandwidth where they could otherwise be relaxing, they're making a trade-off that is in the negative in almost all cases. And these types of folks really get mind blown when they meet bodybuilders much better than themselves that just don't give as much of a shit. And they think, if this guy was as neurotic as me with his genetics, he'd be better. Nope. That's cer certainly true to say if the guy like doesn't even count protein at all or misses meals and workouts, but that general air of athletic chill 
you talk to most champion athletes, they're just kind of chill. And they do a good job at training. They don't overthink it. And that overthinking is what gets you fucked up. On my last show prep, I was like in a cortisol bath 24-7. I was like, other people can cut 1,000 calories from their diet. I can cut 1,500. Other people have to take a break from their career. I can make five new digital products. During my last prep, we launched the hypertrophy app. Amazing decision on my end. Million, 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 million dollar decision. But also like, I work like essentially like, I don't know, 80 hours a week if you count it all up. And I was like, no, I can do this because I'm, I'm me. I'm Dr. Mike. I can do it all. I'm a goddamn warrior, fucking Jew brain, et cetera. But like all that seriousness, all that focus, all that meticulousness means I don't really relax all that much. And it means my physique looks like fucking shit. Um, and so I had this ethos of push and push harder and train even harder. And the guys that say you got to fucking train hard to quote, to paraphrase uh, Broderick Chavez, these are the kind of people that also have trouble putting down their PlayStation controller for more than a few hours a day to get to the gym. <laughs> so they have to tell themselves all sorts of stories about how hard they're working. So in my view, that neuroticism and that attention to detail and that specificity is something drugs or not, most champions do not have to their credit. So what I've been trying to do lately in my preps, in my training, and so far I'm like five weeks out from a peak uh, test peak. I, no show is in mid-December, but I'm getting um, some good pictures taken. I'm already on track to absolutely blow away any version of my physique that I've ever put in front of a camera before by a mile. And one of the ways I'm doing it is I'm just trying to be more chill about it, man. Like I, I, I do more leisure time and as prep gets more intense, I do less work. And because be looking good and taking good pictures is a part of the brand, it's helpful to RP. It is at work in a certain sense, but I'm trying to be like much more relaxed and much less psychotic and neurotic in my own head. And that helps less cortisol and helps me do better. Worrying about shit is the last thing you should be doing, especially in peak week. Oh, baby, did you get my rice cakes? Oh, fuck. These have a gram of sodium. I told you to get the sodium free ones. That kind of stuff does not fly. You're going to look like shit. It's easy to be the champ because when you're the champ, you know, you're going to win. And you're just relaxed. The best show I ever had, 2021, I don't know how this happened, but I was just really chill about it. I took like five naps the day before in the hotel room. I just didn't give a fuck. And I stepped on stage and I, I took second in the super heaviest. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, my last show, I was nervous the entire time for reasons absolutely unrelated to the show. Just tons of stress. I looked like fucking dog shit. Fucking 10 pounds of water underneath the skin. And how do you get rid of 10 pounds of water if you're stressed the whole fucking time? So the idea that you should be someone who tries to leave it all in the gym, tries to really make everything count, is the wrong idea. You have to do a great job checking in all the major boxes. And to quote Jared Feather, do not concern yourself over the little things. The problem is Jared Feather and I are both fucking hypocrites because we tell all of our clients and people we consult, you got to chill, you just got to do the basics, but you got to not smash the deficit like crazy. You got to manage your fatigue, you got to sleep. But what does Jared do? He smashes crazy deficits. He trains harder than hard beyond, doesn't deload as often as he should, travels around the country helping his people that he coaches, sleeps on couches all the fucking time, doesn't get as good sleep as he should. And then what? We all know Jared's competitive uh, history is just not that great recently. This is not a fucking mystery. So, you know, you meet athletes that are really amazing and you're like, oh my God, this person like doesn't even have any insights for me. He's just like, doesn't really care all that much. That's the fucking ticket. So the balance there is to give a shit to do enough good stuff 
having a coach is great because the coach just tells you what to do. You don't have to think about it. You just do what the coach says. And then when you're not, you just play PlayStation and fucking masturbate and go to sleep at nine at night and wake up at 11. But, you know, I'm, I'm exaggerating that sleep interval is quite insane, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> just be easy, bro. Train hard. And then the rest of your day be easy as fuck. Get your meals in. Don't worry about shit. Get your steps. You're good. That is a champion mentality. I think that wins a lot more shows than being meticulous and concerned. But to actually answer your question, lastly, my best hypothesis as to why drug guys tend to talk about pushing it hard and going crazy in training, it's purely an artifact of having higher androgen levels. When you have a lot of androgens in your blood interacting with your brain, at least to me, I think about war all the time. Not on purpose. It just happens. Like, you know, I guess we're, this isn't really a secret anymore. I just started trend three days ago. I'm currently on trend. Ta-da. Um, the way that I relate to my own ability to feel my swag, to feel my strength is different. Like, um, this is something it's like a mental test I do for preparedness. This is going to be fucking hilarious. People are going to be like, this is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. It is probably the stupidest thing I'll ever say uh, ever. I can, I can top it. I can always say something dumber. I imagine myself to have Dragon Ball Z powers. So I'll just like stand in the room and imagine. And I'll imagine myself like eye lasering, just fucking lasers coming out of my eyes, right? And I pretend I can do it. And I, I want to see like, what is my brain's first rendering of how that would feel and how that would look? And if I'm on low gear, if I'm overreached, very much if I'm overreached, I even have a trouble imagining that eye lasers could come out of my eyes because my brain's like, you're pathetic and you don't have superpowers. And this, the, the, the fantasy of doing it is strained. And then when I get the fantasy going, it's like, eh. But then I think if it hit the wall, what would happen? It would just kind of burn a few holes and it was, eh, and then that's it. My eyes get tired. When I'm on trend, or just higher doses of anything, but especially the really androgenic compounds. If I run that fantasy of what would eye lasers look like, the first thing that comes to mind is, first of all, I can eye laser for all of history. And also the eye lasers are each four foot in diameter and it sucks the rest of my house and my neighborhood away and destroys the entire moon. That's how I feel. You take that to the gym, you look at weights when you're androgens differently. I look at weights when I'm on low gear or drug free and they scare me. I'm like, oh my God, six plates on a leg press. Oh boy, here we go. Got a time to time to be rushing about it. Time to be tough. I'm on fucking trend. I look at weights. I'm like, fuck you. It's an insult that they look at me wrong and I want to fucking break them. I want to bend the fucking weights and I just want to like power up and destroy everything around me. I remember the first time I was on Anavar of all drugs, Anavar, but compared to being drug free, Anavar is a, a trip. I was hack squatting, like on a hack squat machine. And usually, you know, when you get close to failure and your muscles are like, oh, you get that feeling in your soul, like, oh, like, oh, it's getting real tough. And you start slowing down in when I got that feeling on VAR for the first time, I was met with another feeling. It was the first time in my life I'd experienced that feeling of like, no, no. And it just kept going and I just kept moving the weight. And I was like, what the fuck was that? What was that? I got upset that the weights were pushing back against me and I got four more reps, way more than I've ever done. And the feelings, even my muscles felt more strained. I was like, this is how people get hurt on drugs. That's the first time I realized that the muscles like like this contractility, you just don't feel as natural. That physiology, that psychology is the by far the biggest reason that guys, when they're on drugs, like, 
I'm fucking leaving it all in the gym. Failure and everything. Because that's how you feel. RIR is the fucking lamest thing in the world when you're on a ton of gear. And you're a science guy like me. You do it anyway because you're not you're trying to you know plan shit but boy oh boy when you're on a lot of gear you just want to bend shit you want to turn every bar into a fucking cambered bar and then if you're not a person who's thinking a whole lot about training which might be a good thing because you don't stress about it much you just go and then you espouse that it feels natural to say i want it all on the fucking table whereas if you're drug free you're more likely to be like training is hard i love it but it's nuanced and i don't always want to push when you're on a lot of drugs, the only thing you feel is like, let's break shit. And I think that's why people, it's not an intellectual thing about like, well, I know that I'm on drugs and I know we only have a certain yeah. time horizon and I better push. Maybe, maybe that's true. But at least 90% of the whole thing is like, you push fucking trend into your bloodstream. About two hours later, you're like, I wonder if I could run into a car and just run right through it. That's the first thought <laughs> that'll come to your head. And like, oh, I see. I see why guys go really hard in the gym. So... That's just, that's my personal opinion. Maybe it's entirely wacky and wrong, but certainly that's how I feel about it. You talk to a lot of other guys on drugs. I guarantee you a lot of people who run gear, if they're in your comments, would be like, yep. <laughs> yep. Day three on fucking trust alone. I was like, oh, I'm not safe for public consumption. I should just train by myself. That will lead you to go really fucking hard. I'm imagining on a very small scale that it's like being drug free, but like in a, an extended deficit versus like, hey, you're post deload in a yeah. surplus like that's, that's to exactly some degree it. i know the difference of like yeah. that feeling but a larger yep. feeling yep uh, yep in a deficit you feel deflated and defeated yeah but you still grind when you're pumped up full of carbs week after your show you're like let's get this shit and the weights start feeling heavy you're like fuck that yeah 100 percent. but like multiplied by an order of magnitude or something yeah yeah sounds quite appealing in some way but i can actually see it being really yeah even as someone who is an ambitious natural who's trying to grow as much muscle as possible rar sometimes can be something that you're like ah like i just want to go hard whatever like yes. you have that feeling i can imagine being 10 times harder when you actually have that sensation behind you where you're like fuck i oh, actually yeah. have to really hold back <laughs> oh yeah i remember nick sean and i at the, were at the 2013 mr olympia and we were randomly in an elevator between like the prejudging a night show with phil heath he was going up to his room and Nick's like, look who it is. And I looked and we were like, oh, Phil, we don't mean to bother you, but like, you're the man. And he's like, he turned, he looked at us and he, I swear to God, he could have eye lasered us both. It was the most <laughs> intense look I've ever seen on anyone's eyes. It was like, you know, when you're enough halo, like that's what you look like. And uh, I remember being like, oh, okay. He's on a lot of shit right now. And he shook both of our hands and he was like, thanks. And he turned and just looked straight into the elevator doors. And I was like, run. Nick's like, the elevator doors are closed. We're like, he's going to kill us. He didn't kill us. But it was like that level of intensity in someone's eyes. I was like, first of all, champion mentality. But second of all, like, halotustin's a real drug. So, By the way, did thing. you hear Phil on Chris Williamson's podcast? I didn't. Was you it might good? like it. Yeah. I, I've not really heard Phil speak that much. He speaks really, really well. He's clearly an intelligent guy. And his training philosophy, like, you could literally say it's it, not opposite to Ronnie Coleman, for example, but incredibly pretty different. fucking close yeah phil's just not known for like heaving weight around and stuff like that no um and he's so also not known for getting injured so that's the thing man one quick rant before i'm sure we have to sign off here in a sec people will valorize lifters for spiritual reasons and not for intellectual reasons why do we all love ronnie because ronnie got after it why is dorian so fanboyed because dorian 
said cool shit in a British accent about fucking blood and guts. And you my, my fucking grandmother trains harder than you. I know that's a Scottish accent or whatever. <laughs> Same shit to all of us here in America. Um, he just was a fucking goddamn man about the shit, you know? Like he fucking pushed it. Failure, no pussy bullshit, no RIR, no technique crap. Just fucking get it done. Man, I feel so goddamn good to hear. And no wonder he has a ton of fans. Who is really a fan of Phil Heath's training philosophy? What the fuck does that even mean? What the fuck is his training philosophy? Like, I don't know, do tricep extensions for five sets of 10 and then your triceps look like Phil Heath's, but my triceps don't look like Phil Heath's. So everyone knows when they train like Dorian, they don't look like Dorian, but at least they can have that spirit of training like Dorian. Phil Heath, there is no spirit because he just trained kind of like a normal guy would train, right? And that's just not sexy. It's not appealing. How many people train like Jay Cutler? Jay Cutler was bigger than Dorian. He was leaner than Dorian. He was just better. Uh, different generation, different era, right? But I don't know. I don't know anyone. I've never met anyone. I really mean this. Who who uh, structured their training after Jay Cutler? Have you? Have, have you ever seen that in a forum, Steve? Have you ever seen no. that written? Like, oh, my training's like a lot like Jay Cutler's. Like, what? No one's ever said that. Jay Cutler trained real smart. Jay Cutler got hurt like once ever or some shit like that. It was a freak injury to his bicep. And he is on record on podcasts saying he never went to failure a single time. Jay Cutler, four-time, I guess, four-time Mr. Olympia. Then you got Jordan Peters. Jordan Peters isn't even a pro. Jordan Peters is 10 times the bodybuilder and arguably the man that I'll ever be because Broderick is a real nasty critic. And he said, there's two people I've ever met that shocked me with their size. One was Jeep Swenson. Google that. He's a former wrestler. Uh, he was like 6'4", 400 lean, which is just total nonsense. And he said the other person is Jordan Peters. So I met him in real life, and I was like, what the fuck? Because you think about it, Jordan Peters is 5'6", he's my height, except he's like a lean 300. So you're like, what? Like, I actually have no idea how Jordan Peters wipes his ass. No offense. I just have no idea how he does it. The mechanics of it don't make sense to me. But then again, from the perspective of like winning in championships and overall, like how many people know who he is, Jay Cutler is an Olympian, quite literally, and Jordan Peters is some guy in England that trains really hard. Jordan Peters is 10 times the following for his training, 50 times, 100 times, infinite times the following for his training. I know dozens of people that train like 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 JP because he's a fucking warrior because he fucking got, gets after it. He lifts dummy weights for dummy reps with fucking dummy failure, like just straight up nonsense shit, like unbelievably impressive. Like he's doing bent rows with weights that people can't deadlift and everything is all the way. And he talks about it, his mentality. Like I read his posts to pump myself up for training. <laughs> I don't train like him, but the spirit is there, you know? And um, a lot of people just copy people on spirit. The thing is from a motivational perspective, that's fucking exactly how you should do it. But should you really be going to failure all the time from a results perspective, from an injury perspective? Ronnie's the fucking man. Ronnie got torn the fuck up. And Ronnie didn't even get hurt that much. His shit all came later. What about Dorian, bro? Dorian finished his last Olympia season with, I think, a sum total of like five or six muscle tears, bro. He had torn every fucking, I'm, I'm kidding, this is an exaggeration, but not by much. He had torn every single muscle group on his fucking body. You want to be Dorian? Have fun. You want to be Phil Heath? Uh, you might never get hurt. But does it motivate you and inspire you to train like Phil? No. All I'm saying is this. Take the motivation. Take the inspiration from people who go fucking hard. But remember that there's only one of you and there's only one of your body. And of all the people that have ever tried to train like Dorian, a huge fraction of them we just don't hear about anymore because they got fucked up and they got hurt. No offense. 
Zach Khan, amazing bodybuilder, was doing damn near 600 pound incline barbell presses a couple weeks out of the show. Didn't get hurt. Hack squats, crazy amount of weight, tore both his quad tendons. But Zach trained harder than everybody. The thing is, it's a risk. Because you're the only person, you only have one body, you got to think that through. And my advice is absolutely follow these fucking psychotic guys for training. JP should be in your fucking feed, absolutely, because he's fucking an animal. But maybe stop or up short of failure. Maybe slow down the eccentric a little bit. Maybe take that pause. Because if you get hurt, there's nobody to replace you. The Bulgarians, their Olympic weightlifting team was legendary for like basically like doing one rep maxes all the time. The thing with the Bulgarians is the average Bulgarian weightlifting champion would do one Olympics. He'd win and then he was out. Why? Because his body was broken. Russians had the same number of wins, except they had Olympic champions do two or even three Olympics where they would medal and win because they did modern periodization and they did phases, macro cycles. They didn't, they didn't max out all the time. They got roughly the same individual results, but the percentage of lifters in the Bulgarian program that made it and actually won and didn't get broken into pieces was teeny tiny. And the percentage of Russian Soviet lifters that made it was actually quite high because the Soviets approached it as we have these super talented lifters. Let's take care of them and make sure people don't get hurt and see how many champions we can make. The Bulgarians thought about it another way. The strong will survive. And they were right. But it was by definition a weeder program. Weed out the people that get hurt. The people that are fucking strong enough not to get hurt, run rep maxing all the time, they're going to be your champions by definition. As a national approach, obviously, like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but the Soviet Union had the more ethical approach. It's fucked up to take weightlifters and be like, you'll probably get hurt. But if you don't, you're going to be a champion. Uh, so Bulgarian approach, I don't like on any level, but both are effective. And a lot of people in the United States, especially about 10 years ago in the weightlifting community, really started learning about the Bulgarian approach and a bunch of them tried it and a bunch of them got hurt and a bunch of them were like, fuck that. Because in America, we're all, it's individual. There's no national weightlifting team with a training center that they live there for the whole year and get their stipends paid. No, they show up a couple months before the Olympics and they might live there, might not. There's, it's only one of you. You're on your own team and in bodybuilding, it's only a team of one. Take care of yourself. And even if it's super motivating to see guys thrashing their bodies into the ground, understand that while that is awesome, it might not be the best thing for you because sustainability has to be something you plan for yourself. Because if you tear your bicep off the bone, nobody gives a flying fuck how hard you went that day. And you don't either. Because all you think about is, God damn it, what could I have done to not get hurt? And the answer is use less weight, use more control. Don't go all the way to failure every fucking session. And yeah, that's lame. It's fucking lame. People will be in the comments saying Mike trains like a fucking pussy. Agreed. But it works. I haven't had a major injury in memory. Uh, I used to get injured all the time because I used to train to fail all the time. And I got to my best training like a little bit of hardcore and a little bit like a fucking pussy. And when you are deciding how you should train, yes, valorize the champions that went at it hard, but also understand that there's a survivorship bias there. And you might not end up being one of those guys. You'll just be that guy who tore his pack. Nobody remembers who the fuck you were. It is, I, I really was trying to think as you were talking for another area in, I don't know, life where you have just this, it's just like it's a, a cool philosophy to follow this kind of, again, it's that, that's like the, the core of bodybuilding is like hard training, all of this. And so 
like people are just attracted to that and that's why again like you say like jay you don't really people don't really know what his training exactly was or the same uh with uh, phil heath as well and it's like very contrasting and like they're in good like a good position right now i got one for you um david goggins i actually his name came into my mind as i was thinking about things um his mentality is like second to none if you have trouble trying, if you have trouble inspiring yourself, you like read three posts by him or read his book and you're like, oh my God. That's one way to look at him and absolutely the best way to look at David Goggins for inspiration. Now, if you are trying to become the best special operator that you can be, you talked about 10 special operators. You go, should I train like David Goggins? They're going to be like, look, he's the man, but no. And you're going to be like, why? So say, you're going to burn yourself out and you won't survive because you have to challenge yourself, but there's also just one of your body and you have to take care of yourself. Is David Goggins the best special operator of all time? Not even close, it's not in the top 1,000. Is he one of the most inspiring figures of all time? Absolutely. He has to try maximum for spiritual reasons for himself. If that's what you're doing, do what he does. If you want the best results possible, you have to understand you're a complex dynamic system Recovery is a big factor. Not pushing limits all the time is a big factor. You have to back the fuck up and play it smart instead of just hard. And that's not to denigrate Mr. Goggins in the least. He's, again, 10 times the man I'll ever be. I would never want to meet him in a fucking dark alley. But the guys, like, I, I listened to a few, like, you know, podcasts about Navy SEALs and Delta Force guys, the Sean Ryan show. And a lot of the guys that you see on there, they're just like, it's kind of very mild, mild-mannered people. And they're the best fucking shooters in the world. And they just do what they do. And they're not so hardcore. They're like, yeah, I love training and exercise and stuff. I push myself, but you know, I'll have times where I take a break and rest and, and that's it. And you're like, so what makes this guy the best Navy SEAL or whatever? Like he's really good at like lifting his weapon, finding a target and shooting at it really quick. That's it. <laughs> like, well, does he practice that a lot? Well, yeah, they all do. But that hardcore mentality has to be there to some extent. But not entirely. Like Phil Heath doesn't skip workouts. Phil Heath doesn't miss meals. But when he goes into the gym, it's not total war. It's more controlled. If you want to be the best champion you can be, you train like Phil. If you need a motivation, you need a boost every now and again, look at uh, Jordan Peters, um, Dorian Yates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because I'd imagine naturals are maybe more likely to have that kind of recognition of pushing and pulling and balancing that. Whereas actually, probably the enhanced guys need to be more careful with that. Like you said, oh, yeah. like, like much oh, yeah. easier to injure yourself. And it's oh, my God. probably less important also to push because- Definitely, definitely. So a lot of times, like the artifact is that the lazy guys in the enhanced realm, they end up doing better. And, and what people see from that is like, yeah, see steroids, make up for it. This guy trains like a fucking pussy. It's like, no, 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 no. This guy's just accumulating less fatigue than everybody else. Like Jared, Jared always says, Jared Feather always says like, the pros that tell you they're training to failure, I train with them and I know they don't. Their idea of failure is actually for RIR. Like I just recently did, this will be out in a few weeks, but I did a review of Chris Bumstead's training and his training was what looks like failure. Like at some point he like, and he stops. But you look at his face, you look at how hard he's pulling, you look at how hard his body is quivering. Like we've all trained hard before. That's really like for RIR. You could absolutely fucking flip the switch and go. Um, there's levels to that shit. And he's not training as hard as he could be. And that's one of the reasons why he's Mr. Olympia, because he goes hard, but not too hard. It's a balancing act. 
And we're not in the gym just to have a lot of feelings. We're in the gym to do the best thing we can possibly do. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant trained a lot, but I bet you he didn't train until his knees fucking hurt. Because if he had hurt knees, he wouldn't be a good player. So there's uh, some people think like there's just a limitless thing of like if you train harder than the next guy, you're going to win. People even use like some kind of little like uh, mnemonics there, like um, outwork outwork the competition. And back in wrestling, they used to say like, "What's your competitor doing right now?" That's kind of how I started thinking about MRV, because when I was later in my life, I came up with the MRV concept. I'm like, "This is the stupidest advice ever." Like, because if you uh, you know outwork your competition, well, what if my MRV is lower than theirs? What what if my outworking them takes me over my MRV? Then I'm just getting worse. This is not a linear relationship between effort and results. It's curvilinear and has an optimum. Find that optimum of recovery and effort and stick around there and you'll get your best results. Spiritually, is it awesome to think like if I just gave it all, I would survive? Yeah, like uh, Vegeta in his ascension to being a Super Saiyan. He trained harder than Goku and he ascended years later. Maybe it's because Goku was more relaxed about it. Remember, Goku was better about taking fucking rest. He would take breaks all the time. He would uh, train really hard and then uh, and then just like like break for episodes straight and eat. If Vegeta would always push it and push it and push it and push it, he went to the time chamber fucking, you know, twice instead of Goku just sat it out. He's like, I'm good. I've gotten everything I need out of this. And I, I'm sure that, you know, Akira Toriyama is not really a sports scientist, but it turns out actually the Goku approach is better. And here's the thing. How many Goku fans out there? I don't know, eight-year-olds and shit. How many Vegeta fans out there? I don't know everyone who watches Dragon Ball Z. Because <laughs> for spiritually, you want to be that guy that grinds it. You want to be the guy who's the, the prince who who almost lost it and then got it all back. You want to ascend to Super Saiyan, you know, when, when you have nothing left to give. But in reality, you know that when Vegeta actually ascended, like he was at his brink and it took everything to blow up that rock and then he gave up and he finally ascended. It's not how ascension works. not in the real world. In the real world, you need rest and sleep and food and then you ascend. Because <laughs> if you think pushing myself beyond my limits is going to lead to ascension, it's just going to lead to a hospital bed. Uh, and Vegeta did do that a bunch of times in the fucking little Balma's gravity chamber thing. And they're like, dude, you're doing this all wrong. So it, we gravitate towards people that are kind of spiritual guides and understanding that you want to take away from them the awesome spiritual thing of going hard when you have to, especially when you're tired on your bad days. Yeah. I, I watch J, JP videos when I'm, Oh God, I got to train JP video. Okay. This is going to be fun. But if you do it all the time and you burn yourself past your ability to recover, there's nobody singing your song anymore. There's nobody clapping. There's nobody watching you. You're just fucking yourself up more and more. And it's not, um, it's not cool anymore. And you have to ask the question of, do I want to be a champion? Do I want to be my best? Or do I want to have a great time at the gym trying as hard as I could? Because some guys will say like, yeah, optimal, whatever. I don't ever want to fuck bother with that because I just fuck want to train to failure because I love it. Dope. You take sixth at your next show, you can tell everyone you love training to failure. And that's why you took sixth and not second or first. It reminds me of a, a thread I made. It was something along the lines of, it's like things people say, right? Like, hey, I'm working whilst my competition is sleeping. It's like, it's all good, well and good if if you don't need to sleep, but if you need the damn sleep, everybody needs sleep. God <laughs> damn it! You. So yeah, it's. Uh, but anyway, Mike, we I've, I've taken too much of your time now. Thank you oh, so nice. much for it. And yeah, I think there was a lot of nuggets in there, and it's a really fun discussion. I think people really enjoy this. Uh, as always, I mean, people already be subscribed to your YouTube channel. I should expect, but uh, have you got anything hey. in the pipeline? Anything you want to let people know about? Uh, the RPI hypertrophy app is always getting better. We have a couple of updates in the next 
month, we're going to be releasing more programs built into the app so that instead of building your own program, you can have templates to start from that you can just click and go and the program is instantly built, or you can modify them. But we're, we're putting a lot of programs in there, like a lot, a lot. And you're going to find something that's right up your alley. Body uh, part emphasis, shoulders and arms emphasis, there's back emphasis, chest emphasis, uh, glutes and abs emphasis, legs emphasis, upper body, all the different days of the week, two, three, four, five, six, we're going to be putting some programs in there at some point that are two-a-day programs, really advanced stuff. So if you haven't checked out the RP Hypertrophy app, go to any one of my YouTube videos and the link in the description is probably going to be the RP Hypertrophy app link right away. And for folks asking, is it when is it going to be available in Europe? It's a progressive web app. It works off of any browser. And if you just hit download to home screen, it functions almost exactly like any app on your phone. So it's available in every single country on earth. Well, I don't know, like it might be legal in Afghanistan or some shit like that, but... <laughs> Yeah, you, know, you probably have different concerns if you're in Afghanistan than bodybuilding. Yes. Um, yeah. No. Awesome. I'll make sure that. Well, I'll have the all your links, kind of Instagram, YouTube, the RP you so app. Much, it will be there. And yeah, again, thank you so much, and thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Losing weight fast while maintaining muscle mass. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? It isn't though, it's reality and we know how to do it and we will help you achieve this. The Minicup Movement is an eight week fat loss program to make you lose a huge chunk of fat while maintaining muscle mass at the same time. We will support you from the beginning to the end so that you see the results you would like to and come out of it much stronger. You will receive a fully automated spreadsheet that is based on your nutritional needs. You can choose between six different male and female training templates. Over 30 videos will guide you through each and every single step of the minicut so that you're getting the most out of your journey and that you always know what to do. But the best thing is that you can start whenever you want. The minicut movement is open 24-7. So if you want to learn more or you're ready to sign up, hit the link in the description below. So let's revive stronger together.